Travis Zapp, Sean Bartley, Tariq Cummings, Kale Ward, Phil Casey, Kevin's Comics, and, and this, this is Comics Verse. Welcome back to another episode of the Comics Verse podcast. This time we're going to be talking about Civil War, but before we uh, dive in and introduce ourselves, I want to remind everyone to please check out uh, comicsverse.com, facebook.com slash comicsverse, Twitter at at comicsverse, uh, YouTube at comicsverse TV, and we're really all over social media. You can find us on SoundCloud, on iTunes, where you can get the uh, podcast, and yeah, make sure that you follow and like our videos and material. Uh, So before we uh, get into the discussion for today. Let's go around and uh, everyone can introduce themselves a little bit. I'm Travis. I'm the editor-in-chief here at Comicsverse. I'm Sean. I'm the COO at Comicsverse. Brian, staff writer, bad podcast joke teller. Jake Swirsky, editor and writer at Comicsverse. Mark Bouchard, intern, writer, got a new haircut. Awesome. So, Sean, let's open this up with a uh, summary of the Civil War event. Uh, it was a huge Marvel event a few years back, right? Sure. So Civil War is basically the quintessential superhero fight story on its face, right? The tagline is, whose side are you on? And on one hand, you've got Captain America. And on the other hand, you've got Iron Man. And you can read it that way. And it works perfectly getting to see your favorite heroes punch each other in the face. But th- it works because there's so much more depth to it. Uh, at, at the heart of this story, you've got the Superhero Registration Act, which is a response to a ton of acts that superheroes have been involved in that have led to the casualties of civilians. And the particular one that Civil War is based around is an incident that involves the New Warriors in Stamford, where they are, they've got this uh, reality show and they invade a a house filled with supervillains and they're trying to get ratings and it leads to a confrontation between Namorita and uh, Nitro who blows himself up, that's his power, and he kills a bunch of kids in Stamford. And, of course, this leads to a ton of, of political maneuvering on the part of various different people, including Miriam Sharp, whose son was killed in this incident, and she convinces Iron Man, Reed Richards, and Hank Pym to fight alongside the government and convince superheroes to register. Captain America falls on the other side of this alongside notable heroes such as Luke Cage and Daredevil, who don't want any part of registration at all and want to continue to do things the way they've been doing them and things progress from there and it's one hell of a story it really is there's a lot of uh, crossover titles to read the entire story is like a, a platinum xbox accomplishment or something there's like <laughs> three thousand pages of it but yeah so let's uh let's dive into the events that led to civil war there's a lot of uh things that had to sort of be set up thor and hulk needed to be taken out of the picture the whole new war situation happens. So, um, Brian, I know you said you wanted to talk a little bit about how this uh, had treated the New Warriors in the Civil War. So let's uh, talk a little bit about that. Cool. Well, basically, the New Warriors, there was a miniseries that came out in 2005. And it was, by, it's uh, it's actually Scotty Young's first work for Marvel. If anybody knows, he's really famous now for the variant, the cartoonish variant covers that they put out, especially on number ones. And um, he did the art. And basically, this series, it's not a com- comedic series, but it's a bit of a light and tone series. And the concept is that the New Warriors want to go to cities across America that don't have superhero teams. Like pretty much kind of the opening explanation is that, yes, in the Marvel Universe, New York City has more uh, supervillain events than any city in the world, but it also has more superheroes per capita than anywhere in the world. So the way that they finance doing this is to be filmed for a reality show. And um, the series is my problem with how they're portrayed in Civil War, like not to jump too far ahead, but basically the series establishes them as knowing what they're doing, especially the leaders, 
not Speedball, but you know, he's the comic relief character more or less. And it establishes that they're really not, they're not driven by ratings for their show. The show is a vehicle for them to delve into these heroic actions. And kind of, it's totally, really, if you read through the whole six issue series, it's really good, really well done. I would definitely recommend checking it out. And it's actually in print under the Civil War banner which is weird because it's really it really had nothing to do with Civil War at the time when it came out. It's kind of retroactively part of Civil War. It, it's really at odds with how they're, they're portrayed in the first issue of the series, and it's always bothered me because it, it always just seemed like there are so many events in the Marvel Universe and so many fights in the Marvel Universe where something like Stamford could happen that I always, I don't know, it's just always bugged me that they kind of, that Miller kind of, in my opinion, mischaracterizes the New Warriors and mischaracterizes the spirit of that series just to set Stanford in motion and, you know, kill off most of them. And what's the name of the character that Speedball ends up becoming? I'm kind oh, of Oh, Penance. I, actually, Penance. I really, that was one thing about the New Warriors arc in Civil War that I actually kind of enjoyed. I wasn't a big fan I, I don't i didn't really know anything about the new warriors or speedball before reading the civil war story and i think that may have had a lot to do with why i like it because i know fans of the character are not uh happy with the whole penance uh change there but that was something that i thought was a really really cool evolution for a character and i mean it was a complete you know yin yang like 180 degree twist for the character like you said he was originally like a comic relief character and you know something that is so dark as like unless i feel pain i don't have superpowers so i'm going to basically put myself in an iron maiden costume where spikes are constantly jabbing at me like that's it's extremely extremely dark i'm for the record i think like conceptually penance is cool i just like i said i'm kind of coming from i don't like the inciting incident to begin with yeah so i'm not really in favor of speedball becoming that just because i'm not really crazy about how they set up stanford to begin with but i think that I think that even though I don't like how the story got there, I think it's an interesting turn for the story. Like the character's pretty cool and the concept is cool. I'll yeah. give it that. Penance reminds me a lot of uh, Azrael in certain ways. He's like uh, an Azrael for yeah, Marvel. Yeah, see that. Penance uh, is actually one of my favorite Marvel characters right now. Uh, I just finished reading his, not to like go too ahead, but uh, I just finished reading his Thunderbolts run and uh, they say that he has the, enough spikes in his suit to represent every death that was caused in Stanford. Yeah, there's one special one up. too in uh they they go over it in the Civil War Frontline crossover that there's one spike that's like right next to his heart that's like the deepest one because it's like for one particular child that was like really special to him in some way. It, so yeah, like th- there's just so much pain behind the character that I think that's one of the things that we don't really see a whole lot of from Marvel in comparison to like DC. So I think that might be why I like Penance so much is because you see a lot more of that pain. It's, or at least it's a little bit more obvious, I guess, because obviously every character has their own pains. But. Mm-hmm. Well, you talk about uh, Frontline, and Frontline is probably my favorite uh, side story of an event ever. I think that Civil War Frontline really gives you a necessary look into the mind state of some of these characters that you don't get from the main series. Yeah. But also a look at the ground level of this thing. Absolutely. Seeing the civilian perspective right. of everything. You got Ben Urich, the reporter. who Sally. Yeah, you get Sally, the, these characters who really kind of embody the, the the civilian perspective which is required when you're talking about an event that is really about protecting civilians and the best way to do that i think frontline even succeeds more than the main event i think that it gives us more of a window as you said you know civil war really is the point of it is the effect on civilians and i think that just reading the main series 
leaves you a bit detached from kind of how this affects the boots on the ground. And not just that, but Frontline, I think, gives you a window to um, how journalism plays into this. The kind of relationship, which superhero comics have always been fascinated by the relationship to journalism. Get me pictures uh, to, of Spider-Man. <laughs> but to, to uh, secret identities, not just and kind of where do you draw the line, you know, you out someone, what's the point, you know, you know, Ben Urich once gets an exclusive or tries to get an exclusive with Peter. Should Ben Urich have outed it if he had known, you know, who do you tell? And I think Frontline really does a good job of kind of establishing those questions a little more clearly in their shades of gray than uh, Civil War does. One thing that I thought was really cool about the Civil War, like the stuff leading up to it, and because it also set up for such an epic story later on, was the way that they got rid of the Hulk, like took him out of the equation for Civil War. And like I said, I think a lot more of that is because I love what ends up happening as a result of that and, you know, World War Hulk and all that. But I mean, if the Hulk was here in the middle of this whole battle, it was one of those situations where whoever has the Hulk is just simply going to win. Right. So it was great that they were able to get him out of the picture in an intelligent way to like save something awesome later on. Well, if I could just piggyback off that, I think that the build-up to Civil War in general is fantastic because nowadays when Marvel does these events, at least for me as an avid Marvel reader, it feels like they just kind of happen. Uh, there's no real build. But you look at an event like Civil War, if you were paying attention and you were an eagle-eyed fan, you could see all these pieces moving into place. And they weren't saying this is leading to this big thing. It was mm-hmm. just happening. And then Civil War kind of comes out of nowhere. And it's like, oh, okay, so this is what this all meant. Right? And, and, it, and it's, it's a very sensical build. And I'm not even the biggest Civil War fan, in case anybody couldn't tell that. But <laughs> it, it's a very sensical build. It's not like... Some of the more recent events have been, you know, they'll throw out like a zero issue or a prelude where they'll be like, here's a bunch of stuff that happened behind the scenes that you didn't see, but it's all setting this up sensically. Right. There's a lot of stuff in Civil War that's in past comics that's built on very, very uh, naturally. Well, I feel like that was the way that these sort of events used to be. I mean, in DC and in Marvel, you look at Infinite Crisis and there was like a year or two of countdown to Infinite Crisis and all the events that had to go into place to lead to that huge crossover. And there were even crossover events prior to that, like Identity Crisis that influenced that. Oh, definitely. And those events are also so much more popular. Right. Uh, There's so much more development. The whole thing comes together so much better. It's a much longer story it's a much more detailed story and it's a much more like i said like better put together story that you know in comparison to like the convergence from dc or secret wars from marvel the recent secret wars which i feel like was kind of a mess but yeah there's just something different nowadays it's something like like, the crossovers feel like more desperate or something it's not like somebody's got a story to tell it's that like somebody's got a way to bring heroes together and make money well the thing about Civil War and the the origins of it, um, you have to take into to, to context what what took place at Marvel to bring this to life. You know, Marvel's notorious for having these retreats where they come up with all these ideas. Well, Civil War was one in a series of dominoes that they were putting in place for years to come. So Civil War directly leads into Secret Invasion, or rather World War Hulk, which leads into Secret Invasion, which leads into Siege. So it, it all felt like it was one long-form story, which comic books arguably do better than any other medium yeah um but but today you really don't see that too much it's kind of like okay this is an event and this is an event but they don't really relate in any way yeah that was uh it's not organic right 
then that's another thing too that I think Civil War did really well was it uh, created new properties and new opportunities. Yeah. Bringing in the villains to be in charge of Shield for a little bit there with Norman Osborn was you know something that back in the '90s would have been completely unheard of. You know the Thunderbolts title and uh, crossover story was you know incredible, bringing together a whole team of villains you know similar to the Suicide Squad, but you know with all your favorite Marvel villains. Like there's something really really cool about that, and that's one of the things that again I feel like modern day crossovers aren't able to do as well creating new properties with convergence you have telos but that's not a property that people are really too excited about but it's not just properties it's asking new questions by kind of changing the pieces so you know we've destroyed kind of we've had this civil war people are unsure we've put people in power like norman osborne how do what are the ramifications and it's just organically will lead to a better storytelling it's not like we are taking this is not an event this is just the next phase of the story uh you hit the nail on the head right there with the ramifications because that's what this was civil war had real consequences that were actually followed up on in the comics which is you know it's it's interesting and i i think a little bit telling not to sound like um the type of person that you'll find complaining on the internet but civil war is really the last me the last major marvel event that predates the existence of marvel studios as a concept yeah yeah that's true because even you know iron civil war came finished in 06 the last issue ends up coming out in 06 by 06 07 they were prepping for iron man and prepping for the concept of the mcu and i think that i do think that that has led to a bit of a stagnation of the characters where you look at an event like avengers versus x-men really coming out of that there are consequences but not Really not to the level that there should be, considering what happens in that story. One thing that is uh, really cool, though, uh, speaking about the movies a little bit more before we go back to the comics, is that they've had this period here to see those consequences. There's such an epic story played out in the early to mid-2000s that like and even into the 2010s like you know with the dark avengers with like all of that that there's a lot that they can do going forward using just those storylines like obviously they're they still have the classic storylines like infinity gauntlet and all that but there's a continuity that's very much set in place with a lot of options for them to you know take care of i would not be surprised to see a thunderbolts movie too uh not too far away uh, especially if uh, dc suicide squad is successful that's a good point, and actually, I hadn't really considered that. But depending on how far Marvel wants to take this Civil War thing with the films, they could use it as a as a springboard to bigger and better things. And that's something that the comic book was so good at. It was like like Jake said, asking these new questions, which I think is a brilliant way to put it. But it it also created new stars. I mean, who cared about Speedball before Civil War, right? Right. Iron Man. A lot of people don't realize this, but Iron Man and Captain America were like C level heroes before before like non Civil War when and, they weren't the, I mean, part of the I, Avengers. I would really say a little bit. Bendis really started with Disassembled, making the Avengers the the capstone team of the Marvel Universe. But it, you're right, it is like around that, it is really around that period. Yeah. That they become the focal point. And coincidentally, the one in which Marvel Studios focuses their movies on, you know, Spider-Man does not become the focal point. The X-Men are no longer the focal point of kind of the stories, which definitely I think is one of the reasons that Civil War felt so new or at least the the stories that came after it, because it was, let's put the spotlight on the government. Let's put a spotlight on the approval, the, the approved heroes, not your Spider-Mans, not your kind of street-level people. On that note, let's actually start focusing a bit on that government side of things, on Iron Man's side of things. Now, I know that there's always supposed to be this question, this moral question, whose side are you on? 
personally, I never felt like there was really a whole lot of a question here. I always felt like it was pretty clear cut that Iron Man was kind of being a dick throughout this whole story. No, it's pretty obvious. I, it's... I won't argue with you as much as I'll say, in story, if you pretend you're living in the Marvel Universe and look at it in story, I don't think it's that obvious. I don't think you could just come out and say Iron Man is being a dick. I think where the problem comes from is from an outside the narrative standpoint, it's sort of obvious where a vast majority of the writer's ideologies lied. Mm. And so much of what is written, even in the main book, even by Miller, it's written in... They think that Cap side and the anti-registration side is in the right. Right. So the pro-reg side ends up getting written in a more ant- in an antagonistic manner. Right. That makes them like like you so eloquently said makes them come off like dicks. And, and like, like, do I think that Iron Man in concept is a dick? No. In execution, he comes off like a dick. I, I'll written. definitely agree with that because where he's coming from, they do a very good job of writing like his motivations and particularly his conversations with uh, Maria Sharp uh, or Miriam Sharp yeah. really show how close and how personal this whole issue is for him. So you can definitely see that him and Reed Richards too are really trying to do the right thing and you can ultimately argue like i mean you know by the end of things cap understands that as much as he's fighting for what he believes is right in this situation he ends up completely being in the wrong arguably i mean when when it leads to someone's death that's what he the conclusion he comes to but yeah i I mean what's interesting to me is the heroes who choose to be uh siding with the government iron man makes a lot of sense because he's always sort of been this in the limelight representative of the avengers but some of the other choices uh spider-man in particular at first are a little surprising to me well i think there's a lot of missing context for spider-man's choice if you don't read some of the the stuff that leads into the event because he had been building a relationship with tony right yeah that's going how to he, dc and all that right that's how he ends up getting the suit and, and everything else so tony was working him over for months prior to the event itself well even that event though like as much as we're saying like we understand where Tony's coming from and all that that whole event in DC where Spider-Man ends up fighting the Titanium yeah. Man which we end up later finding out was entirely paid Set off by, by Tony, Tony yep. to prove this whole point that we need superheroes and this is like him trying to prevent the act being passed but it shows what Tony is willing to do is morally questionable at best and i think more importantly, think about the first issue in the lead up to Civil War. It's a meeting of the Illuminati. Mm-hmm. This is, we've already established that Tony, Reed, and you know Professor Xavier, they, they basically operate, they think they know better than everyone else. They have superior intellectual superiority. And it looks, what does it look like? Does it look like a meeting of superheroes or does it really look like a meeting of supervillains? Let's be honest. Yeah. It looks like people who are trying to kind of control control and yeah they're meeting in secret and like they, undisclosed locations they, undisclosed locations they write tony in universe as brian said he makes a good point but the way they write him they show him building a prison they write him as someone kind yeah. of going down this kind of dark path as someone who's kind of straying already kind of sacrificing his ideals they show him as willing to do anything and i i would also say just to go back to what travis said for a second and tie it back to what jake was just saying you know you said at the end of it i always looked at the ending a totally different way like not to jump ahead to the ending of the story but to me the ending doesn't see cap realizing he's in the wrong he's tony you know basically the ending is cap is the one who realizes we should stop fighting and creating needless damage like 
again, my interpretation of it has always been that like Tony would have continued fighting. At that point, he wouldn't have even cared if they had leveled New York City. It, it was a personal vendetta. Again, and I'm not necessarily saying that that makes the pro or anti-registration argument wrong as much as it's the writing of Tony versus like at the end of especially the main Civil War book, mm -hmm. Cap is is on the moral high ground. Well, oh, it's, it's also so much easier for I Tony think. to not give in because he's got the backing of the entire American government. Like as far as the government's concerned, Tony is on the right side of things here. So there's not really much reason for him to stop because he's doing what he's supposed to be doing and stopping the violence and fighting the bad guys. I sort of agree with Brian on this. I noticed and myself as I was reading the books that uh, I grew to like Iron Man less and less as the story progressed, less than I even already did, which was, I was biased. I, I don't really like Iron Man. I like how he's written in this, and I but I don't like him as a character, and I don't think we're, I don't think we're really supposed to like him. I would say that's definitely true in, in, in this, this particular book. book. What sucks for me is that this was one of the first Marvel books that I read, so like that's my first impression of Tony Stark, basically. Well, so like, I'm going into the movies, and yeah. like my girlfriend's like, oh, Tony Stark, Robert Downey Jr., he's this like the best superhero and i'm like he's such a dick though yeah me too <laughs> i i'm always in the minority when it comes to these kind of conversations because i believe tony stark was right as a reader i read it as a as if i'm on the side of the anti-registration but as a human being an objective person i believe tony is right i believe that he has the best interest of the people in mind and the best interest of his friends in mind you there are you also see, have to I Oh. I actually, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, go for it. Oh, I was just going to say, I agree. I think that's the point that maybe, maybe I didn't like enunciate it correctly before, which is possible because I'm bad at that. I think that if you really break down the argument and solely look at the argument, I actually think that I would agree and fall more on Tony's side. But the story is very clear. It, in, to me, a lot of it is very clearly written by people who think that they're in the wrong and write the registration forces See, as in the wrong. you also wrong. have to remember, though, this was written in second bush administration right, it's 42 is guantanamo bay you know there's a lot of kind of it's a lot of anger in the american public which yeah. is looking you know was very palpable this kind of terrorism or security kind of argument where we saw you know kind of civil liberties being trampled on much more it was a i mean much it's, it's more the patriot a, act it was a yeah, patriot yeah, act. exactly patriot it, was, it was an echo of uh, what was really in the public mind at the time what i think is interesting though is i i would agree with you if you look at just what the argument actually is, I think that Iron Man is absolutely in the right. And that's why Spider-Man's actions actually really confuse me. Because Spider-Man, the act of this whole superhero registration is that he's supposed to register his identity with the government. It never says anything about publicly exposing who you are to everybody in the world. It says you're going to register with the government. We'll have your identity. Presumably that secret identity is going to be kept hidden from the general public. You're just going to now be working with the government. So why the hell Spider-Man Spider-Man got to go on public TV, unmask himself. That's like I've a always, move that I'm I, just like... I've always read that as like Tony. <laughs> Tony thinking that that would be... Like PR. even if you take yeah. him, even if you take him at, at like best intentions, like a, like a PR move. Also, in general, I have a... I think that a lot of Spider-Man's characterization in this book, and not to jump ahead, but why I think he'll work better in the film, is just because so much... Like Spider-Man's characterization in this book always reminds me of like, this would be how like a starstruck teenager would be acting yeah. not necessarily adult spider-man yeah i could definitely see that yeah. well i think if you read frontline it, it's 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 right there in issue one he talks to sally and he says 
do people really understand what they're asking of me? They These heroes live in a world where S.H.I.E.L.D. is almost totally corrupt, right? So like if you register your identity with S.H.I.E.L.D., you're basically registering with Hydra and everybody else. There, there's a, a you're, It's almost 100% a positive that a villain of yours is going to find out your identity. So, But he, why broadcast it all over international television? Because, like, well, I mean, take the chance that maybe the villain's not going to discover it. That element of it's it... It's also a marketing thing for the book. That, well, I mean, getting beyond that, that element of it certainly was a PR move, right? But it was also Spider-Man sort of wholeheartedly saying, listen, I'm embracing this all the way. I truly believe in this. I think Spider-Man isn't the type of person who makes PR stunts. He's the type of person who says, this is what I believe in and I'm going to do everything I can to prove that I stand with this. And that's why I think he took off his mask. Oh, yeah. I mean, the PR thing, uh, Tony, I don't think that Peter was making a PR. I think I also have always, and this might be looking like way too deeply past the intentions of the writer. I've always also wondered if like you can psychoanalyze Peter Parker a little bit that if he feels like if I unmask and show that I am on the side of this, if people will finally stop hating Spider-Man. A hundred percent. I don't think he cares. He's never cared about that. Eh. I think he's written like a very insecure person this entire book. He changes his mind. He does this because he's basically everyone hates me. If I tell them who I am, maybe they'll stop hating me. When is but when is that ever on the page? I, uh, I think it's implied. I think that uh, I think that this thing had a lot. I feel like the scene specifically in which he unmasks and I guess a bit of the lead up had a lot to do. It was I feel like. Though I agree with what you guys have been saying about like Spider-Man's ideals and like who he is. But I think that we have to look at this from like from, yeah, the starstruck teenager perspective. Like this is keep in mind, it's one of his scientific role models. And in the lead up, Tony's not even just being more of a mentor. He's like sort of playing at the father figure thing, which is a sort of a low blow, I'd say, to take. That's that was where I that is where my dislike of Tony Stark grows in that he is intelligent and cognizant enough to know like that like this would this would happen that like this are uh, and he and Captain America even discussed this in his uh in the Tony Stark Iron Man offshoot that yeah like he he, he kind of manipulated Peter Parker to do what he wanted it wasn't it wasn't all Peter he manipulated him in a, in, in a sense you're totally right but the, the point is that Peter Parker is the type of person who would do this. He's the type of person who stands by his ideals. But he's but but and j- just to counter argue, considering what Peter Parker's origin story is, which might be the most familiar origin story, or at least up there with Batman to like which the is general public, like a very similar origin would, story. Would Peter Parker put his loved ones in danger when his entire life basically revolves around the fact that his action or in actions taken by him resulted in Uncle Ben's death and Gwen's Stacey. This is, but but you, you it this stretches is an, his character. This is an adult Peter Parker who has. But it's, it's well, a, let me finish. Okay. There's an adult Peter Parker who has seen that no matter what he does, his actions being Spider-Man will always put his 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 loved ones at risk. But there's a there's a bigger element at play. There's a bigger question at play that he has to answer, and he has to stand for something. And I think that I think that that's that's who he is at his core. You don't think that Peter was really wasn't written first i think they needed some character to be the kind of focal point and you don't think he was inserted later because i think it comes across as kind of stretching his character a bit he couldn't have been written later or inserted later because there are months of follow-up that involve him in this that's not i just mean that in terms of his characterization it's a little stretched i i think that the that brian's right in saying that like we'll have a uh, better or more real representation of spider-man as like this starstruck teenager because i think that peter parker definitely does play off like that in the uh, civil war storyline here 
which I think is really my biggest issue with it. But I don't think there's really another superhero in the Marvel universe that they could really have used to fulfill this role of bridging the two sides as effectively. There's not really anyone else that Marvel has who's so obsessive about keeping their secret identity secret. And then to have somebody who you know, is constantly second-guessing himself, is known for his introspective inner monologues. Uh, it makes a lot of sense for him to be the one to sort of realize the error of his ways and then end up switching. The other thing, too, is Spider-Man's got one of the most awesome costume like closets, so you get to see a lot of uh, classic costumes and, and even the Scarlet Spider costume here, which if Tony Stark gave me that, I would be on his side to begin with in the first place. Too. You mean the, the Iron Spider? Iron Spider, Iron Spider. Iron, Iron Spider yeah. I would argue, I no. I agree with Travis. I think that Peter, which is ironic because he's the quintessential Marvel hero, he's one of the few Marvel heroes who, from a secret identity standpoint, really has the DC dichotomy, where he has a a a very hardened secret identity. Like the the only other Marvel hero I can think of off the top of my head is Daredevil, and right. I believe at the time Daredevil was was outed, like his secret identity was outed. I think because so. this should have been concurrent with Bendis's run. Well, yeah, he's not. That's not even Daredevil in that book. Right. That's, yeah. Uh, Danny Rand, Iron right. Fist, and Daredevil's never held the the popularity that Spider Man has right. among younger audiences too. And I, I will say, I will say one thing. I'm just throwing this out there. The Spider Man identity reveal does have my favorite panel in the entirety of the book so it's worth it for that which panel is that jameson when, oh, Jam- nice. when jameson faints <laughs> that is a good one yeah that's definitely one of the uh, funnier moments of the uh the series there so we talked about iron man a bit we've talked about spider-man so we may as well finish bridging the gap and let's talk about captain america and his side of things so yeah, we've got superhero pro registration and then Cap and his group who are all very anti-registration. We brought up uh, Luke Cage. We brought up Spider-Man earlier. And so these are all heroes who have more of that super identity, street level sort of crime fighting versus the Avengers, more uh, overarching, universal, galactic battles, much more big picture stuff. So like, what is really the difference here in opinion? Well, for, for guys like, for guys like Luke Cage and Daredevil, they've got families to consider. I mean, Luke is a father at this point in the story. Uh, he's got a wife, Jessica Jones. You know, uh, they're together. He he can't uh, afford for his family to be put at risk. Now, of course, we just talked about Spider-Man and how he was willing to sacrifice his identity for the greater good. But Luke Cage isn't that type of character. Luke Cage has been arrested. Uh, Luke Cage has dealt with the government in a not positive way. So he's got a different look at it than than a character like Spider-Man does. Do you think the movie will suffer due to the fact that in the movies, in the Marvel Cinematic movies, we've seen much more of an emphasis on the Avengers, your tight, you know, your galactic heroes, as opposed to your your Spider-Man, your Daredevil. They've really and I don't think they're crossing over the TV characters, unless I'm mistaken. As far as we know, there hasn't been any exactly. announcements of it. But there's a different mentality to the characters who have those street level kind of bit of a grittiness, a bit of the world is not roses versus kind of the Avengers where they have the backings of the military and the government. I don't think so. And I don't know if this is jumping ahead to a later segment. Actually, yeah, I do want to talk okay. in greater depth That's about the, the upcoming movie and, and a bit later. So yeah, let's uh, not get too far let's ahead of ourselves. Could I, could I backtrack a bit just to the, uh, the talking about the civilians and how this is really about them? Sure. Uh, just to like do a quick plug. I just pulled out some of my Civil War books and uh, they really do go in depth with this because I know like it's set after the reveal of his identity, but there's a book just solely devoted to people and Peter Parker's lives. And it's not even it's not even 
just Aunt May or Gwen, like Mary Jane, who you'd think it's uh like there's an entire issue just about this kid who's in Peter Parker's biology class, and you really just get like a you really figure out like there are kids and we're kids we're not hearing about who to them Spider Man is a hero like this to kids just like he is here but a more real hero because. On your way to school, you could be seeing Spider-Man apprehending someone, you know? I don't know. It just really captures the emotions of these people that we never would other we would otherwise never hear from. And I think that that's a good point, too. The, the regular civilians and the street-level heroes have a better relationship to each other than someone like Iron Man has to everyday people. Just because the threats that he faces are so much bigger. Yes, he, he's involved in saving these people every day, but he's not on the ground. Indirectly mm-hmm. saving yeah. them. It's right, not right. he's not seeing them on the street. You know, it's there's a sense of kind of a neighborhood. You daredevil hell's kitchen. Spider-Man right. is kind of he's just Spider-Man. You know, this is those are the Avengers. You know, there's a sense of kind of ivory tower. Right. Well, it's like, different. Like, it, it's different if uh, Spider-Man's swinging in and saving you from a rock falling on you versus the Avengers fighting around Stark Tower against all the aliens who are attacking and destroying buildings around you, but you are not personally being rescued and saved right. by those and, characters. And a majority of the time, Iron Man is literally above everyone. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that was something that I always, I always really read into the story, period. It's that kind of Tony does genuinely care about civilians but he almost sees civilians as an amorphous coverall thing yes he wants to protect civilians as opposed to kind of on a more one-on-one relatable level yeah it's very like statistical like yeah if, yeah. if i save as many people as i can that's fine which goes but... into which the into po- reed richards and yeah. and goes into the point of captain america's character which is the whole point of cap is that yes he's this whatever super guy but he's just you know he's just a regular guy he's just one he's one a kid from Bro- streets of brooklyn he's you know he kind of has that dichotomy of yes he works for the government but he's not you know your kind of 1950s he's your he's a you could see him walking down the street because we wouldn't be dressed up but and you know tony also has the robotic voice there's a there's a disconnect visually and even in his civilian life he's you know literally above everyone there too he's this multi-billionaire who's like a genius inventor who like you were saying about you know cap walking through the streets of brooklyn we're not going to see tony doing that we'll see him taking the limo if even that it'll probably be like a helicopter or something like there's uh, an element of class yeah well clash and and separation see that that's what makes me appreciate the anti-register registration or the pro registration group so much because they're not emotionally they're not as emotionally invested in the same way that cap and and the secret avengers are so for captain america and those people it's very much coming from an emotional place of look i don't care what the statistics are i don't care what reed richards says i know that i need to be on the streets protecting people every day and i should not have to put my identity on the line to do that for iron man it's look it's like look I know for a fact that no matter what you say, the government doesn't care about what you feel. Mm-hmm. They want this to end all the way. I'm just trying to to take a half measure to protect all of us. And Reed Richards is saying, statistically, if we keep doing this, the world is going to end. Right. Right. So from a logical objective perspective, I appreciate what they're saying. And I think that anyone looking at this and analyzing has to recognize that ultimately they're right. But couldn't you make the argument that because of the fact that they're so, it doesn't really affect them, that they have far little to lose? But it does. It does affect them. How does it, it doesn't change their life on on a micro level as much, though. It changes it it on a macro level. I mean, it it altered Reed's life, it altered Hank's life, and it altered Tony's life dramatically. 
Right, but I would say that a lot of the way it altered their lives was because there was pushback to it. Yeah, if, yeah, it was the pushback it, that it, altered it, their it, lives, if, not the incident let's pre- itself. Let's pretend that, like, in let's pretend that everyone had been like, "You guys are right. Like, you're totally right." They they had a summit and they were right. Tony would continue being Tony Stark slash Iron Man. Reed Richards was Reed Richards, leader of the Fantastic Four exactly. in the Baxter Building. Everybody knows him. Hank Pym you know super famous scientist what however you want to judge the lengths of fame that a scientist would have i would assume someone in the in the marvel universe would probably be more famous than like a scientist in reality tony's <laughs> identity was secret by the way yeah but yeah, no but not, it, but it was though. but not he, not he, not in the same way that spider-man had an agenda to keep it secret that's what he wanted but it's not a defining it doesn't really impact his his life but as it someone does like it, it does impact his life. I, th- I think what it is to me is Iron Man and Reed Richards, as much as the event itself did impact their lives, I don't think it impacted their lives as personally as it would have had they been on site at the event, had they been trying to rescue people. This is an event that occurred outside of them and beyond anything they could have done to help. So it's the repercussions of that event that really end up impacting them the most, whereas the event themselves or the event itself uh, wasn't really something that I see as something that they could have been as personally affected by as Speedball, who obviously took it extremely personally. Right. So I, I can definitely see why they're motivated by the act, but I don't think that it was the act, or not the act, the event of uh, Stamford itself. I think it was the pushback and the repercussions and some of the understandings that they had as a result of those. Miriam Sharp in particular, you know, Iron Man already knew that this superhero registration thing was going to be happening with or without the superhero heroes uh, cooperation that was something the government already put into play and he was even against it you know as we saw in the events leading up to civil war and it's miriam sharp who approaches him and it's her emotional connection to the event that ultimately helps to convince him which side he needs to be on See, in his argument. i i would actually say that tony stark was against it the entire time and i think that that's a reading that most people don't have of the book i think that tony didn't ever want that to be what they did but i think he chose the lesser of two evils and he stood by that because he was ultimately trying to protect everyone who was affected by this most mostly the superheroes but the decision doesn't really change his life that much but that okay fine but that's a separate argument (coughs) than whether or not he chose to do it like like why he did it well it's interesting you say that sean because i i I half agree. I think at the beginning of the story, he is. I think that as it progresses, and I think him and Cap both have this, and then at the end, Cap comes to the realization not to. I think it becomes a little, I think it does become an ego thing for Tony. And also, you know, it's funny because we were talking about, hey, we got a guest. Hey, sorry. I also just want to jump in here. Who are you? I'm Kale. I just want to jump in for a second and say that uh, Tony had also just gone through all the extremist stuff. True. So his armor and stuff had also been hijacked. And the very last page of the last extremist story, the like the last panel, <laughs> is basically superpowers and, and, and super, you know, suits and all that. They're like guns. They need to be registered they need to be locked up so i think i think tony had that was his triggered thing i think he was already on that side i think that's a really good point something obviously that we haven't brought up yet so i'm glad you added that to the discourse and i would say that tony is the type of person who would feel that way because i mean even if you watch the movies right like in the first movie he's totally about guns and then he goes and sees the 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 ramifications of what he produces and now he's totally against it right so like i think that that definitely plays a part in why he's 
ultimately uh, agreeing with you know the pro registration uh, perspective. But I do think that he would have been if if it wasn't going to result in a catastrophic event, which we'll never see, but we can assume it would have. He might have been more willing not to persecute and prosecute his friends in in the name of this governmental agenda. Yeah, I think the second half, as Brian said, it definitely. I definitely think he believes it. But the second half, there is some sort of. It becomes sort of a vendetta, a little bit personal. It becomes a little bit, you know, ego. Like, how could you refuse me? There's kind of a, they make him a bit of a darker figure because resentful of his friends who ran away. Especially once you start getting into the use of uh, the the Thor robot clone and the usage of the Thunderbolts. And the prison. And yeah, and the prison. I'd agree with that, but I also think that, I, I don't think that that takes away from that he thinks that he is doing the proper thing that it's going to protect his friends. I don't think that there's any malice or like I don't think that this was a his decision just to side pro register or to be the pro registration side is has anything to do any negative sentiment. Well, I I think that maybe negative sentiment I think negative sentiment develops. Yes. I think Tony develops a little bit of I was trying to do this to help all of you. Why are you trying to Especially me down? like I was trying to do this to help you, Steve. I'm on your side and you've got people fighting me a little you know, fuck you. Like what are you how could you don't can't you see that I was doing this to benefit you? See, one of the things that I think is so interesting about the anti registration side of things is that their motivations seem to be so much more rooted in uh, not only an emotional connection to like the streets that they patrol and the people of those streets, but also their past interactions with the government. You know, Steve in particular has seen up close what happens when the government has too much power, you know, back in World War II when he was fighting the Nazis. And putting superheroes on a list isn't all that different from putting all of the Jews in the world on a list. What rule is that on the internet? Uh, I'm not sure. but A discussion... Goes a certain amount of time before someone makes a Hitler comparison. It was saying, "Oh, nice." I'm yeah, not sure what yeah. rule that is. No, but, it's uh, accurate at this point. Something about being anti-government. I don't know. You were somebody ma- else go. You were making a point about how Steve Cap- Steve Rogers has seen what happens when the government has too much control. Yeah. Oh, right, Apologies. right. And and uh, Wolverine is like the same thing. He's he is the results. Both of them are the results <laughs> yeah. of experiments right. from the government on humans and also or mutants. Not and, only the uh, idea of see P- superheroes being on a list in comparison to the Holocaust, but especially to someone like Steve the concept of the government having essentially a superhero army or a super powered army is something you know, like same thing with Wolverine you know they were one off experiments more or less like they ended up being because of the general you know story developments around them you know i'm sure steve thinks to himself well the government wanted a whole army of me if you know erskine isn't shot the whole deal if the government suddenly has secret identities hanging over people's heads that they could say all right spider-man You'll be outed if you don't go and assassinate, you know, leader of country A who we disagree with. Which, when you put it that way, makes a lot of sense as to why Spider-Man would just go ahead and unmask himself anyway. That's one less thing for them to hold over him. I just wanted to say one other quick thing, because it kind of goes back to something we were saying earlier. But, you know, the whole concept of Tony Stark being above it all and uh, the confrontation with the the boy's mother at the funeral. Miriam Sharp. There you go. For so- I always go to call her Maria Hill, even though I know it's not Maria Hill. That's why I wasn't going to say her name. That, you know... That's something that I've always read through and wondered, you know, Spider-Man's probably gotten that before a lot. Iron Man may have never have had a one-on-one 
a one-on-one confrontation with someone like that who maybe was affected by a battle that he had. Like, it, it makes me think not to draw a cross-company comparison, but there's that great bit. You brought up Identity Crisis, which, granted, is not the greatest book in the world, but there's that that great bit with the Justice League where, you know, Batman leaves and Superman leaves and Wonder Woman leaves, and they talk about how it's down to Flash and Green Arrow and Green Lantern and, and Black Canary and Zatanna to kind of clean up the mess. It, to me, I, I almost kind of draw a little parallel there. It's that, you know, when the Avengers have these gigantic battles and the Avengers are stopping, you know, whoever, insert, you know, extinction Kang level threat. Cumber. Right. You know, they, they stop said extinction level threat and that's kind of it. And maybe Tony Stark is not on the ground to have someone who, you know, Lost. you threw Kang through a building and my son got hit with rubble and died. So whereas Spider-Man or a street level hero, I feel like maybe deals with that. Not that they're dead into it, but they deal with it on a more more consistent consistent basis. Thank well, you. I mean, just in general, we know that Spider-Man is is, is I don't want to say universally hated, but you know he's the, he's the menace, right? In yeah. in in New York, so he's definitely used to that. So that just speaks to your point. What what I will say though, and this is a point that was brought up earlier, uh, like a lot of things that the that the pro registration group did didn't actually come from Iron Man, like the Thunderbolts. That that's not something that he wanted. He didn't want the Thunderbolts to go chasing after Spider-Man when he when he um left the encounter with tony he wanted the opportunity to just talk to him you know he didn't even want to fight him so i think that tony gets mischaracterized and blamed for all the actions that the pro registration group takes when a lot of that stuff was going to happen with or without him yeah the thunderbolts was a, a move by maria hill absolutely yeah yeah she is also uh one who comes off as like a total bitch in this just uh, a complete villain and yeah. and 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 in total fairness because uh, a lot of people like to say that mark millar chooses to mischaracterize a lot of his characters in the book and maria hill was always that way yeah you know she was she was always that character so i don't know if i, I think the thing with millar it's not so much that i think he mischaracterizes them as much as he really hops on to one aspect of their personality yes. and kind of drives over characterizes that home see i i and i'm glad you brought that up with some of them not with everybody I, with some I, of them i vehemently disagree with this right so like we see the part of Iron Man that is willing to do whatever he has to do in order to get this agenda through because he believes it's the right thing, right? But we also see the part of him that's sitting with Happy Hogan five minutes before the act becomes law and saying, I hope we're doing the right thing here. You know, this is this could go horribly wrong. He's very emotional about this and, and it hurts him that they have to go down this road. So I wouldn't I, I think he I think he's very dynamic as a character and very multi-layered i'll be honest tony wasn't the, yeah I wasn't i'll just gonna say Iron tony Man. wasn't the character who i come to mind with that i in fact i actually think that tony millar writes tony with more depth than a lot of the crossovers do definitely tony to me comes off more as a villain in a lot of the crossovers like there's even one of the spider-man crossovers and forgive me i forget what like the exact issue numbers right now there's one where there tony is written i believe it appears either in regular civil war or frontline i forget which one tony goes to talk with peter and it starts as a very genteel conversation that same exact uh interaction is written in one of the spider-man books as like tony punching through a wall basically like looking like he's gonna beat the crap out of peter uh the character to me that come that i was thinking of is just reed richards i i don't i don't particularly think think that reed richard's characterization is really on point in in anything not that i necessarily think he would be anti-registration as much as i don't think that he would be as much as i don't think that he's written on point and i don't i think that the later uh dwayne mcduffie retcon of the um 
like the mathematical calculation that essentially the world is going to end. To me, that makes a lot more sense than his initial writing of we've got to stand by the letter of the law because it's the letter of the law. To me, that just doesn't that has nothing to do with it's like oh reed richards is a serious science guy so that must mean he believes in the letter of the law it just seems like a stretch to me well my issue with reed richards throughout this is that i feel like the way he's written comes off as almost like completely like sociopathic like he's so into like his big ideas that he misses the trees for the forest he's not actually focusing on like what is something that needs to be done whether what's good or what's bad he's focusing on this is something that i can do and this is something that i'm going to do without really considering how people are going to feel about that thing whether or not we should be sending people to zone 42 for prisons you know all all of that i feel like is just so much of him playing this sort of intellectual god without asking himself whether or not he really should be so i guess you're like the ethics of of his ethics are off is what you're saying yeah that's exactly what i'm saying i i think that there's validity to that especially when you talk about the 42 prison but i i also counter that with well how else do you hold these super powered people i mean they've held the hulk so many times in so many prisons but he always gets out yeah but some of that is is because people are like hacking into those prisons and getting them out themselves. It's not because of the fault of the prison. It's because somebody is actually trying to get them out. The Hulk, the Hulk can be held. It's a question of just, you know, doing it. I think Reed is a really complicated character to write for, for some people, for some writers. And I think it's a mistake and a couple writers do this to write him almost as this kind of Asperger's-y sociopathic figure. And I think that's not the issue because he has a real, he is passionate about science. He's more, and I think it's, it's a tightrope to walk between dorky and kind of, but empathetic, but, you know, passionate and empathetic about ideas versus kind of Asperger's and kind of sociopathic. Yeah. He's written, you know, the old books, he was written more as a father figure. So there's definitely empathy, you know, I mean, he, there's, there's and I something... think that they were like, oh, we need a scientist. Reed has been portrayed as kind of, you know, a little out there. Let's go full throttle on that and not dwell on any other parts of his personality. The character, I, I... just really quick, the character reminds me a lot of James Gordon Jr. in the Black Mirror storyline where he's not connecting to anyone on a real emotional level, even Sue. Like throughout the course of this story, there's a, a big disconnection between him and her. And it's so much more of that cold and calculating, emotionless aspect uh, of Reed that I, I feel like really isn't who Reed is. I will say I'm the biggest Civil War apologist in the world, but I do wish we had a few moments with Reed that would show the emotional core as to why he was doing what he was and doing. And the thing is, he doesn't just... He's not just a scientist. He has a passion for science. He has a love for it. That's different than than a Tony Stark or even a, a Peter a little bit. Fantastic Four is about opening yourself up to ideas. It's about kind of loving. There's a real enthusiasm and emotional connection to the ideas as opposed to just I build stuff. I I've I almost feel like the role that the role that Reed plays would have almost been better suited for Hank for Pym. Hank Pym. Hank Pym. Yeah. To for I know Hank Pym is uh, with them, but I mean for Hank Pym to be the principal, to be the principal scientist character, if you want to use that terminology, where that is one that I almost do wonder, not like prior to the writing of the story itself, but I wonder if within the pitch, if Reed played that role, or if there were some discussions that well, we need we need the the Fantastic Four presence and franchise to be a major part of Civil War. So maybe if Reed kind of slotted into that role, that because because to me 
even though it's not like dead on with Pym's characterization, it would fit better with Pym and certainly would fit better with the history of Pym, especially the the way Marvel tends to treat him with the creation of Ultron and the fact that we know he's supposed to be, they they, they characterize him as emotionally unstable and... I understand what you're saying, but I think that it comes down to Mark Millar's writing of Reed. Because, yeah, absolutely there was they, there was a decision made to include the Fantastic Four as like an emotional, familial core to the right, story. Right, definitely. But, right, like, like the literal right. family split down the and, middle. And when yeah. Sue and uh, Reed are fighting and she writes in that letter, like there is definitely, that is an emotional moment. Yeah. It's just not an emotional moment for Reed. Right, exactly. which I wish, I really wish we would have gotten that part of it. We just I think that would have redeemed him in the story. We yeah. just saw Sue's perspective and we basically let Reed kind of keep on trucking. Right. And eventually she comes back and is like apologizing for, and you know, I just want my family to be together and all that. So Reed doesn't really get a whole lot of character development. There's no real arc to him. Right. He goes through, these are my ideas. People don't like them, but I still am going to do them anyway. From, From the beginning to the end. And I don't know if this is something that was maybe picked up on FF later, but from the beginning to the end within Fantastic Four, like you just get the vibe that Reed, by the end of it, still just can't comprehend why people didn't listen to him. Right. Well, did what? Miller write for FF right after this or right before this? Pretty he wrote. Sure he, he wrote for. He wrote for a run pretty around this time for FF. on regular FF. I regular know he wrote FF. Ultimate FF. No regular. I'm pretty sure that it was. I'm not sure. I, I want to say it was Check just it. before, but you could be right in that it was after. Yeah. The tie-in material though for FF is quite good because it focuses basically on having Storm and Black Panther join the team. Yeah. Which subbing for uh, Reed and uh, Johnny, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I will say though that I think it's really important to stress that Reed's Reed's motivations are that he knows scientifically that this will all end if they don't do something right now. So I feel like be, even though Mark didn't write enough of it in for us to be able to like connect with that emotion that he's See, that's that's the problem of Civil War though in a nutshell it's. It's all there, but it's there in implication or looking through tie-in material. And then, and then, like with the tie-in material, for example, like if you read J. Michael Straczynski's Fantastic Four issues, it's very blatant that he personally felt that the pro-registration side was wrong. So he really doesn't look to give any emotional depth to Reed. He just writes Reed as wrong, and really writes it from the perspective of Sue and her emotional her emotions at everything and why she does what she does and just basically writes Reed as he doesn't come right out and say he's wrong but there's really no doubt after reading if you just read that issue there's really no doubt who is portrayed as being in the right and who is portrayed as being in the wrong and that's part of the thing that that's part of my thing with civil with the overall event of civil war versus the actual miniseries that to me the overall event especially really just hammers home who one side is portrayed as right and that's anti-registration and one side is really portrayed as wrong in a vast majority of the tie-in titles which i think then comes back and does hurt the main title a little bit i think the main title was also the fact that it's so short kind of it basically forces a lot of the dramatic kind of characterization and plot not as much plot development but characterization and really character changes to be forced on the to the uh tie-ins and yeah. it, for some of them it works really well for frontline it works very well but it just does not work with a character 
like Reed Richards, who should be, he might not be front and center, but he should have a pretty prominent role in the main issue. One thing that I thought, and to sort of speak to both of your points here, that the Civil War main story did really well is introduce new readers to a whole lot of different characters. Yes. But I agree with both of you in that a lot of those characters made very uh, cameo-esque appearances. Mm-hmm. So you you have like Cloak and Dagger some pretty cool characters, some pretty powerful characters who are used here, but you don't get any real information about them. And like those surface are, level. Right, like, yeah, yeah. And those characters aren't even really developed all that much in any tie-ins either. So you're introduced to these characters. You're now aware of these characters as people, but nothing's done with them. They're placeholders. My issue is besides McNiven's delay, why not just make Civil War longer? Why not take your time and like, if it's already like massively popular, I like why not have it well, run another two or three issues? If you read like the main series itself, and I hate to say this because I love it, but after the second ish issue, it becomes a build up to the finale. The fight, yeah. Yeah. So that tells me that Millar's actual plot was very thin. Yeah. And it became about the characterization and the build up to the finale. So to your point, if they had increased it to 12 issues, you would have had a situation like we often have now in events where they really don't have a whole lot of plot, but they really want to sell 12 issues. So you end up buying it and there's nothing there. Yeah. So if they really didn't have much more, I appreciate that it was seven issues. See, that's the you thing. You don't think it could is... have been nine, though? Like beefed up the characterization? a little bit. If, if Millar didn't have it, I yeah. don't want to read it. I, I don't want to read that. Maybe, and I, I don't think that they would have, maybe if they could have had like a uh, 52 style writing team where if instead of got, if instead of people writing instead of people writing spinoffs and tie-ins, they would have had people working. Maybe you bring in Jenkins to work with Millar. Because some of those you, tie-ins seem like they could have been parts of the main story. Well, I think it's interesting because like going back, like I think that now with these comics events, like if you look at something like Convergence or if you look at something like Secret Wars, they assume that people don't want to buy tie-ins. So a lot of times the tie-ins are kind of these standalone character mm-hmm. stories and they stretch the main series out. And to Sean's point, sometimes they, they feel unfulfilled because it feels like you're stretching four issues of plot to nine i think with civil war it was kind of the opposite it was instead of doing a year-long thing or a nine-month-long thing we're gonna do what you know what what i think was scheduled to be a six-month-long thing but getting just loaded up with tie-ins that you need to read whereas i think now we've moved away from that to like side character tie-ins well i think I think with Civil War, Marvel un- learned an unfortunate lesson and one that I don't think they needed to learn. People complained ad nauseum about the tie-ins in the sense of how important they were to read. So now Marvel is very afraid of doing that. So they won't they won't overload you with relevant tie-ins. But what you lose is, for example, why like Cloak and Dagger, why couldn't they have had a tie-in? Right. Why couldn't have why couldn't Miss Marvel have had a relevant tie-in? You know, like these characters deserved to be uh, recognized alongside all these other heroes and maybe build them up, you know? Maybe make them relevant as well. Right. Nowadays, and- nowadays, with an event, for example, like Secret Wars, you know, they throw these tie-ins at you, but I feel like I'm wasting my money when I buy them because nothing happens. Yeah. See, it's interesting because I maybe because I'm the kind of reader that's like the opposite kind of reader. I also think what they try for tie-ins now is like, for example, I didn't really care for Secret Wars. I didn't finish reading it. Uh, like at print anyway. Like I, but. I really enjoyed the, I, there were a couple of tie-ins that I really enjoyed because they didn't have to do with that main plot. They were spun off with those characters, whereas the Civil War tie-ins are very ingrained in Civil War. Like, for example, not to get, like, there's a Secret Wars tie-in that I love that's a three-issue Star-Lord and Kitty Pride. And it is a tale within that world that vaguely ties into Secret Wars, but you don't have to have read a sentence of Secret Wars to enjoy that book. And I think that maybe 
maybe they think people are more willing to buy tie-ins like that where you know someone will look and be like i have no interest in this event but okay i like that character i like that character i like that character and they know that they're not going to have that they're not going to be completely lost when reading it one cool thing that i want to throw in there really quick because this was another civil or uh, secret wars tie-in was they did a civil war 2 yes. spin-off yeah. which we're not really discussing here it, it takes what happened here sort of erases the ending and keeps it as if the battle was still ongoing for several years afterwards and the world split into two and all that. It's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I, I really like Civil War 2 a lot, but yeah. Civil the, War the left Secret us. Wars version. Yeah, 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 yeah. But what Civil War left for me in, in the main series was you really only ever got Iron Man and Captain America's characterization. That's all that yes. was really focused on here. And Peter, to an extent. And, what, and whether you think it's extent, like a correct interpretation or not is up for debate. But, but even Peter, so, to not to not Periphery. as much. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't developed as much as uh, Iron Man or uh, Captain America. And even like as much as both of those heroes have their sides, you don't really get to see too much character development of any of those heroes. All that said, I did love one superhero who tried to join the anti-registration side and who Cap didn't want to join the whole uh, Punisher, Captain America fight there and the dichotomy between, you know, I I fight because it's the right thing to do, whereas the Punisher is is a cold-blooded murderer. Like, I thought that was a really cool, we're products of the same uh, situation, but just a different war. Well, so for for those of you who who were reading alongside the release of Civil War and maybe going on forums, you'll remember that speculation was was rampant about who the character was in the ski mask, right? So when it was revealed to be the Punisher and he was made a part of the anti-registration because he needed to get into the Baxter building, infiltrate into the Baxter building. That was ridiculous because of, I mean, of all the characters who were going to infiltrate a building, why the Punisher? It felt, it felt like a needless inclusion. It was, and then hold on. And then when he goes on to just as soon as he sees the villains that are working or, or potentially working with the anti-registration group, he just murders them. Like he's an idiot. I don't, I don't, I hated that. That is the one characterization that I'm absolutely against. Well, it was interesting because he, was unable to see any shades of gray right. and even you know captain america and tony saw the whole pro registration anti-registration in very much shades of black and white but with that came moral ambiguity as to what they were willing to do to defend their ideals whereas punisher i feel like was very separate from the overall pro registration anti-registration because he's always been a rogue he's always tried to work outside the system he's always done his own thing so i don't think any of this really affected him he was going to be fine hiding and being a commando and doing his thing no matter what happened so what what's interesting to me is because he's so separate he maintains the same morality that he always has and it's interesting to me in that he's one of the only characters we see in this book who maintains the same morality he always did this is a villain i kill villains i'm gonna kill this villain so why do you think that he made the choice to join captain america's team because the thunderbolts were being used by the uh pro registration team i think he's also kind of portrayed as a bit of a dunce in this book like just kind of you know i'm here oh yeah you guys are having your little civil war but i'm really just here to kind of keep doing my job as a and kind of a disconnected to uh the kind of main conflict a little bit meant you know he's portrayed as mentally unstable is that not his job is the punisher not like i i feel like that that aspect of his characterization was right i mean i feel like their other people's problems don't really matter to the punisher he has a job he does what he does that makes sense yeah i just it just felt a bit jarring is he generally smarter than he was well yeah but not 
I mean, I, I think I think the a delivery of what he did was not correct. Yeah, the or, ideas itself like were fine. Just the execution felt very mm-hmm. kind of flash in the panny, very quick. Yeah. Yeah. You know, while we're talking about moral ambiguity, let's uh, dive into the usage of villains, the Thunderbolts. And I really think we, we can't end this conversation without talking about the, the death of Goliath. So let's talk about the Thunderbolts a bit first, and then we'll talk about the death of Goliath, take a quick break for some food. And then when we come back, we'll talk about the movie. Sounds okay. good. Right, sounds good. So Thunderbolts. Personally, I'm a fan of the idea as a reader. If this was a real world situation and we lived in a world with superheroes and supervillains, I would be extremely skeptical of a government that would publicly <laughs> allow that sort of thing to happen. Yeah. I, my yeah. issue is a lot of the best Marvel villains would never be involved in Thunderbolts. Norman Osborn is really the, one of the big exceptions. I think from a character standpoint, you know, you're really good. You're Dr. Dooms. You're kind of, you're Galactuses. You're kind of weird characterization, a bit kind of unique. You know, you're Ultrons. They wouldn't, they wouldn't be on the Thunderbolts. And it's like, it, and it comes across, I think Suicide Squad works a little better because D- DC has a bit more interesting C-list villains, I think. But the Thunderbolts didn't include characters like Doctor Doom and Ultron. It included characters like no. I'm saying I'm saying that it doesn't. It includes you know. I mean, I guess Venom and a couple other people like yeah, that. Mac, no, Mac Gargan, the f- Scorpion. Scorpion. Yeah, which yeah, that's a, a character that I don't think they would have been able to maintain any sort of control on. I think what you're saying is very accurate about the Suicide Squad, whereas like every character in Suicide Squad, even if they've got some kind of super technology or super ability, is very much a mortal character. Yes. Putting some kind of a suicide collar on Venom is like akin to putting one on Clayface. It it's just not going to do came- a whole lot of damage, and the symbiote's going to remove it before you can do anything with it anyway. It just so. came off as a big goofy yeah yeah i could definitely see that i i guess i could see it for venom when you put it that way but i think for characters like um gosh uh jack-o'-lantern yeah yeah jack-o'-lantern makes a lot of sense toy man i think his name is you know i think it makes a lot of sense with those characters that you would do that and i'm a i'm a a huge fan of warren ellis's uh thunderbolts run which we got as a spinoff you know of this and i think that i don't know that that part of the story works too well in 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 civil war as well in civil well it gets no spotlight it's mentioned and then it's just kind of like thrown to the wayside you get like the uh, jack-o'-lantern chasing down spider-man in the one scene and then they show up for the final battle but outside of those two moments you don't really ever see the thunderbolts making any real difference in the course of this whole conflict right i and i totally agree with that when you read warren ellis's thunderbolts though you do get a sense that these characters on on a level want to redeem themselves at least like songbird radioactive man like they do want redemption venom's just crazy but but these other these other characters have redeemable qualities so i think when you look at it from that perspective it makes sense that they i mean okay so they do have like a suicide side collar on them but it makes sense that they wouldn't resist too much and that the government would loosely trust them especially given the other things around that that the government are willing to do to get these superheroes in line okay but i think that in the context of civil war it just feels kind of 
periphery and like like a lot of things in Civil War you see them for a couple panels and you don't really get a sense of their role or what they're doing and it comes across as we gotta get like 30 more characters throw Venom in there you right, know? Yeah, I that, hear J. Jonah Jameson being like let's get Venom let's get this guy I feel like a lot of Civil War as an event was I mean if it wasn't intended this way it came off this way to introduce as many characters as possible to new readers to, exactly Definitely. because I know when I was reading this it was oh my god Captain America's fighting Iron Man. That's awesome. Superhero versus superhero. And then I'm reading through the book and I'm getting introduced to Jack-O-Lantern. Like, I had never seen that villain pop up in anything before I read this. And now here I am going like, okay, like, who's this Jack-O-Lantern? I'm going to look into this a little bit more. Um, and I think that that's the effect that a, a big crossover like this should have on new readers. I get that. I, get that. Um, I just think that it can be a little jarring when the main event doesn't work or the kind of it takes away a little bit of the urgency from the actual, you know, the, the fight, the well, conflict. I just think that narratively, and granted, we the Ellis's Thunderbolts is really good that comes out of this, but narratively within Civil War, to me, it's just another herring of saying yes. that another herring of making readers go like oh, the the anti-registration side is doing more and more things that i that i don't agree to to me you it's another pro-registration right the pro yeah, right yeah. yeah sorry that the, the pro-registration side is more is at this point they're literally using villains well Did, and but, they but again, build a lot of good ambiguity out of it later but to me within Civil War itself, it plays a little bit like that. It's made to make you hate them But you have to, this is the thing, you have to separate Iron Man and the heroes from Maria Hill and the government. The Thunderbolts initiative is the governmental initiative. I don't think that separation's clear, though. I don't think they establish it. Tony's vehemently against it if you read the main series. Yeah, and, and my my biggest issue with the Thunderbolts, like, it makes a lot of sense from the government's perspective. Hey, we've got X number of superheroes on our side. We're having a lot of trouble convincing the other superheroes to get on our side. What other superpowered beings are there on the Earth that we can use to get some kind of edge in this battle? That's how the government's looking at it. They're looking at the anti-registration superheroes as the villains here. Villains that they can have some semblance of control over are are agents that they can use. Uh, and I'm sure that, uh, I mean, th- this is S.H.I.E.L.D. They've done this same kind of thing plenty of times. Black Widow was like a triple, double, quadruple agent. Like, they're they're no strangers to using the enemy as an ally, even if only temporarily. So it's not surprising that they do it. And it doesn't come off to me as Tony Stark being behind it or endorsing it in any way. My issue is that it seems like a missed opportunity. This is one of those things that they very well could have if they wanted to develop it into eight or nine issues taken the idea of the Thunderbolts, have an issue that's part of the main title and really show what damage are these Thunderbolts doing to the anti-registration side that especially then makes Cap... Which especially then makes Cap go, oh, well, if the uh, pro-registration side is going to do this, we need to find ourselves some supervillains who are going to help us out. And and like I said, that just seems like a missed opportunity. Well, that that was not Cap's choice. Remember, I forget her name at the current moment, but I think it was Diamondback. She brings in some of her old villain buddies. Right. And then she ma- she asked Captain America to make a choice about them. Right, but right. But before he finishes, and then Punisher, Punisher murders. Yeah. So I, I, and I agree with what you're saying and that it would have been cool to see the Thunderbolts kind of do a little more. But it goes back to Mark Millar building the narrative from that point forward, from like issue three forward to the finale. He they, they've it's said multiple times, we're saving them for the finale. Right. We're saving them for the big finale. And then Spider-Man escapes and Maria Hill's like, well, we're saving them for the finale, but screw it, just send them after him right yeah. now. But that... That's one of the issues with the crossovers because you've kind of got like who does the fo- who do you really want the focus to be on? Where do you want to have it? Is it an epic or is it just Cap 
and Iron Man. That, well, you know, and, and I think that's the thing that's great about this story is as much as it is two sides of the issue, Mark Millar does a really good job of personifying the ideals of both in those two heroes. Yeah. So as much as this is a major crossover, as much as this is every Marvel hero and every Marvel villain here, the conflict in its roots, you know, is is very well stated by those two characters. If you only wanted to look at, if you wanted to remove every other character, hero, villain from the equation and just make this only Iron Man fighting only Captain America, I think that it would still be a pretty effective story, obviously just on a very, very, very much smaller scale. Well, I think that another thing that Millar does really well is you mentioned Punisher. And while I disagree with his, with his uh, characterization, he does represent the extreme right and the death of goliath the creation of of the clore the clone thor and the death of goliath represent another extreme so i think that in those moments we're seeing malar saying listen this is where it can go right this is the end game if you guys keep keep this up and it causes that these characters to have this reaction of oh man you know this is this is getting really bad and i like the fact that when those things do happen the characters in the story react like cable and a couple other people end up leaving the uh anti-registration after the death of goliath a ton of characters leave the pro-registration after the death of goliath so these things matter Mm -hmm. right and it's not just you know destruction porn it's not wanton chaos and no one cares you know it's interesting because on, on the death of Goliath, I, I've always thought, again, from a narrative standpoint, not necessarily within the universe. To me, from a narrative standpoint, the death of Goliath is is really the point where it fully turns to the pro-registration being portrayed on the antagonistic side and the anti-registration being portrayed on the protagonistic side. Quick question. Somebody refresh my memory. Who made the call to use the Thor clone, Ragnarok? Right. That's his name. Tony, yeah. I believe. Was um, it Tony? It was Maria Hill. It was oh, Maria Hill? Okay. Because, yeah. like, see, I guess my question then at that point is, I, I guess it comes from this idea that it's sort of futile to fight against it, which is Tony's whole point in the first place. But why, after the inclusion of the Thunderbolts, after the call to use Ragnarok goes completely awry and kills somebody who was, you know, not a close friend of Tony's, but somebody that he knew and fought alongside of, why isn't there more of a pushback against the government, against S.H.I.E.L.D. after they're making these sort of decisions? Because because right after that, he meets with Mar- Miriam Sharp and she says to him, I'm sorry for your suffering. I'm sorry for your losses, but you're really doing the right thing. She represents that emotional core for him because, again, we talked, he's not close to civilians. He doesn't interact with them. She represents the people. And she says to him, listen, that was terrible, but you're doing the right thing. Move forward. Well, plus, by the end of this, too, I just remembered he's in charge of S.H.I.E.L.D. for... Uh, for some time anyway. Right, he can make it right. So yeah, he can directly make those decisions that Maria Hill up to that point had been making, which I guess all makes a bit more sense. You said you had something that you wanted to talk about after we mentioned Goliath? Yeah, I just thought that a really interesting wrap on the discussion of the comic, and this is something that I was thinking of while reading in preparation for this podcast, and then all of our talk here has made me think about even more. And that is... You know, the comics industry has been going this way for a long time, and it was like this back in 05, and it's more like this now. So many people who read comics, you know, first of all, it's become so widely accepted because of the movies that you have a lot of people who will on and off read comics, and a lot of what they'll, you know, they'll go to Barnes & Noble and they'll buy a trade paperback, and everything is trade paperback and everything is everything, and now you've got a Civil War movie coming out too, which is going to up the presence of the title even more, and what you know, someone who does who's not a regular comics reader, but they're they see Civil War, they want to go buy a comic, whatever, they're gonna go buy the Civil War trade. But they're not gonna read the tie-ins. 
they're not they're certainly not going to read every tie-in right they might pick a hero they or might, two here right or there. they might see oh civil war spider-man i'll read that but and maybe not they might just go by in civil war which i think that's that even more so now the main series is going to become is going to be for better or worse a lot of people are going to read it as a standalone story as a standalone volume and it kind of led me to thinking like does it just reading this hold up as a standalone story no. and i I honestly don't think so. Like, if you're not a major Marvel fan, if you are someone who, you know, like, like I have plenty of friends who recommend me some Daredevil to read because they watch Daredevil on Netflix and they'll go and buy, you know, the Born Again trade paperback or whatever. If they saw Civil, if they either saw Civil War or they're, oh, Civil War is coming out, I'm going to go read the comic. That's what they're going to pick up. And I don't, I think it works as a standalone story, but I don't think it's particularly great as a standalone story. I feel like there's a lot this whole I feel like there's a lot of holes to it. That actually happened to me because, you know, I wasn't a particularly I'm a trade reader by heart and I was like, you know, civil war. It's I had heard so much about the story. I pick up the solo trade paperback and I was like, first of all, this looks kind of short. And I read it. And it was fine. It just, it. I don't think it particularly concluded, you know, all of the things when people think of Civil War, they think of the death of Captain America, which doesn't actually take place in Civil War, or they think of, you know, there are all these kind of events they think of with, you know, Norman Osborn. It doesn't really happen all in Civil War. Well, I think uh, the, the death of Captain America is one of the big ones that I, I think is sort of missing from this. But I also think that if you ended this solo title, like just the, the main series of Civil War here, if you ended it with the death of Captain America, it would have ruined any moral ambiguity that remained in that the title. Sense. It feel it feels like a middle chapter if you're coming into this book. You feel like No, there's, I, I there's... disagree completely. I think this title stands perfectly well on its own because by the end of it, you've got heroes who, like Sean said, are crossing from pro to anti, from anti to pro. The stakes at the end of it have you know, changed the the universe of the the whole Marvel atmosphere. No, um, but if you're not familiar with what that atmosphere was, it's not a criticism. I don't think that you need to, though. Well, I, but uh, the Civil War was like the first Marvel book that I ever read, and while I agree with what you're saying that like it can feel incomplete with how many other tie-ins and stuff there are and how much else there is to read I don't think that that's an issue with the story itself I think if anything that's a testament to I mean there are certainly problems with the writing don't get me wrong and there's definitely stuff I would have liked to have seen developed more in the main story but I think that the fact that it gives you a drive to investigate further to then go okay oh, what's the aftermath what what happened that led to the death of Captain America because you know obviously Obviously, he's arrested here and then this all happens later. But if if they like I said, if they were to provide that closure to Captain America's story would, by killing him, yeah. it would have overshadowed everything else that had happened in the comic. That's not my issue, though. The issue is that we talked about how it felt very organic, the lead up to it. But you can't have it necessarily both ways. You can't promote Civil War as being your kind of entry point to the Marvel Universe while at the same time having all this kind of prior things that lead up to it and then kind of confuse the reader and then not really a particularly solid conclusion to it. It, it it does work in that it makes you ask a lot of questions and go I have I'm this is all really interesting I feel like I'm in the middle of an amazing story and that's not a criticism I, I could see what you're saying because that's how I felt with Final Crisis, but I feel like there's a lot more context given to Civil War than Final Crisis ever had, even upon like my fifth reading. Well, Bri uh, Brian had his hand up oh, for some I, time. I just feel, I, I guess may maybe I not misspoke my point, but 
more what I meant is just the idea that Civil War, and because the movie has the name Civil War, let's throw it out there, as di- we'll discuss how different the movie is probably going to be. Extremely. But <laughs> Civil War is now going to be thrown on the same shelf as Dark Knight Returns, as Watchmen. Not in a critical standpoint, but as far as like standalone volumes yes. that people go into a Barnes & Noble who've never read a comic before, and they'll grab that and read it. So I guess I guess what I would say if if Marvel's going to be smart about this, you're right in that they there should collect are, the tie-ins with them. Uh, maybe not even every tie-in. I, I think, think there expensive. should be like an ultimate collection, though, because you look at you know all the tie-ins together, and there's some stuff that is definitely unnecessary to your understanding of the story. But you're right in that some stuff would definitely add on to your appreciation of the context if you were a completely 100% new reader. So if we're taking that perspective, I think, yes, these six issues for a brand new reader can't entirely stand on their own. But I don't think that the series itself requires well, extra I, reading outside of those six it's, for it's the so casual much, reader. It's really not so much the extra reading as much. And it's really not so much plot holes. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily think there are plot holes. I think there's stuff that could be expanded upon. But I think if you read Civil War by itself, it makes sense. More characterization. As much as... As a standalone work, does the seven issue Civil War? It's seven issue. It's six or seven. I'm sorry. Either I may, way, I don't does, know. <laughs> does the does the seven issue or six issue Civil War miniseries by itself does it stand up by itself as a seminal work? As a seminal work, because that's the way it's going to be looked at of because of the fact it's being adapted and because of the fact that you're you're kind of taking it from taking uh, pilfering from it for the movies. As, as a seminal work, I don't think so. And I think the fact that the Civil War movie is going to be so dramatically different from the comic sort of speaks to that in, in a way. I mean, with Watchmen, you've got an entire story being told from beginning to end within those pages. Civil War, you've got an ongoing story that's been being told since like the 60s and even before that with the ongoing development of thousands of characters. And this is just one chapter from that overall story that involves an entire universe. I don't know. Some Marvel events, though, like the original Secret Wars, I feel like stands on its own. But, or I mean, but, like, Gauntlet. but what I'm saying, though, is like... If you're just looking at these seven issues in comparison to Infinity Gauntlet, which had like 12 or something, not to mention it had its own tie-ins and then sequels, which are all ultimately collected into a huger volume also, I I don't think any individual comic that involves the entire universe of that publisher can possibly stand 100% on its own. Well, even like you said, Travis, you had questions about who is Jack O'Lantern. I've never seen it before. Like, okay, so that right there represents the fact that this can't be a standalone story. Right. Because you don't know who it is, right? Right. So like if that was if you that was your first time picking up a Marvel comic and you go who in the hell is Hank Pym that's a whole level of context you have no idea about exactly but, so you cannot blame the story for that but because no that, I'm not but the, hold not, on let me hold on that is a that is a flaw of comics in general wait Brian I see you getting ready wait that is that is something that you you will struggle with whenever you try to read comic books and it isn't just Civil War the story of Civil War is complete because the inciting incident and the finale are there yes. That's I agree because you the the whole point of this these seven issues is the conflict between Tony and Captain America. We get the inciting incident that showed us what ignited this conflict. We see that conflict develop, and we see market. at the end of the book when one side.
side gives in and stops the conflict between those two characters. The death of Captain America isn't the end of that conflict. It's Captain America going, oh shit, people are dying. I'm not actually protecting the innocent, which is what I'm fighting to be able to do in the first place. So I need to stop this conflict. Even if I don't think Tony's right, I'm not right for fighting against this. That's the end of the conflict right there. So I think you're exactly right. You know, looking at the character arcs and looking at the story that's being told, I think the plot of the uh, story is complete as far as this collection goes. I don't disagree. Like I said, I feel like that we're, I feel like we're going back to, we keep going back to like this comic book argument of, is there stuff missing? Does it make sense? You're right. Well, maybe someone won't know who Hank Pym is. That's not really what I'm, that really wasn't, that wasn't what I'm getting at. It's not even so much the marketing that I'm getting at, but it kind of is. It's, you know, listen, if someone reads Dark Knight Returns and doesn't know whoever, name a Batman, you know what I mean? Or if someone reads the the killing joke and they're not familiar with uh, Jim Gore, you know what I mean? Like you can kind of say that about any of the, seminal comics works my thing wasn't about whether the story is complete the story is complete in in a one-off sense there's the inciting incident there's the start of basically the start of the registration act there's there's the fights there's the end with cap surrendering more of my point was is that single volume a good story it was just a question that i was is it a good story like do you think that if you had just read that by itself i'm curious do you do you think you would think it was a good story? I would think it was an all right story. I would, kind of my... I would think that it was a great story. I Honestly, it's still one of my favorite Marvel books. It is my favorite Marvel book. I was I was fine with it. It just, I was a little underwhelmed. I kind of expected more after hearing about it. It just, I as I've been reading more of the tie-ins, I've appreciated it more. But the actual, those just seven issues were just kind of breezed by them. It was, it was interesting, but it was not... I would not say it was very seminal. The thing that I appreciate the most about it is because as a story, like you said, like we we brought this up earlier about there actually being consequences to it. And that for me is the biggest selling point because this didn't need to be a reboot to have consequences that were felt across the universe like major DC crossovers, Final Crisis, Infinite Crisis, Flashpoint. Okay, what are we going to have some kind of big universal thing do to reboot whatever aspects of these characters we want to change? Here's an event that is just happening in the continuity of the universe that completely changes up and shakes up the foundation's of the whole universe and the way it works. And I think for that alone, this volume deserves some recognition. Yeah, the event itself is successful. I'm just talking about the actual story is not... There's a difference between saying the effects of the story and the way the event works, which is very well. But the actual, you know, you go in and read it. It's fine. The actual book is just in terms of where it's at. Well, that, I mean, that's subjective. What you guys can't see right now is me and Jake have put on Captain America costumes. Travis and Sean have put on Iron Man costumes. (laughs) And we're actually sitting like on opposite sides of the room brawling with each other. Does Um, that make me Spider-Man? One thing I do want to say too, yes, it does make you Spider-Man, Mark. You're you're bridging the gap. (laughs) One thing I do want to say too though, and speaking about the consequences again and, you know, hearkening back to what Jake brought up earlier about Captain America's death, I did like outside research after reading this, like, oh my God, Captain America's arrested. What's going to happen next? Ended up finding out that he was dead and bought the volume Fallen Sun, The Death of Captain America, because I'm going like, oh, okay, the subtitle, yep. Death of Captain America. This is where it's going to happen. First off, not where it happens. But yep. second off, one of the most emotional comic book collections mm-hmm. I have ever yeah, read. This, this and- is my favorite comic book collection. Of This is my favorite trade. Yeah, the the... 
each issue re- first off it was written right after Jeff Loeb's son died yeah uh, and with that in mind so each issue is centered around a different stage of grief which I think is really important yeah and, um, and each issue also follows around a different uh, mm-hmm. superhero yeah, and different follows hero. the way that they were impacted by Captain America and really I think this is where we see the ending of like Tony's uh, sort of but I think this is where we see the end of Tony's story arc for Civil War because this is where we get to see his redeeming moment when he's giving the eulogy at Steve Rogers' funeral. And that moment, like, I can't read without being in tears by the end of it. Like, it's... The whole collection is extremely powerful, so anybody who reads Civil War, I would ultimately recommend also reading Fallen Sun. You won't get the moment that Captain America dies, but the, the... volume itself is just fantastic and by the way how many how many events leave you wanting so much more yeah and are so good at what they do that you can have a book like fallen sun it can create a, an event as big as the death of of steve rogers it can spin off for years to come about bucky and, becoming right secret avengers Se- dark avengers right. thunderbolts do you think that this event because it was so successful critically and commercially made Marvel kind of go a little overboard on their events. Do you think this was the beginning almost of the end of those kind of... I'm very happy to talk about this because I I always hear about event fatigue. I feel that you will feel event fatigue if the event isn't good, right? So like I could read events forever. I'm a huge fan of crossovers, but when they're not good, then I don't want to read them, right? I think that Marvel had a plan, right, to tell a story that was told over the course of, I want to say about five or, or seven years, right? And each event built off the one prior. So with that in mind, it's one long form tale. Because they did it that way, I like it, I enjoyed reading it, and I wish that more events would be structured in that way. And do you think now they're kind of just throwing things against the wall? Since the end, since Siege, right? That was the end of the Civil War story. That was the fall of Norman Osborn, who came to prominence and his rise to power after the events of Secret Invasion. So once that was over, that was the end of the story. And since then, they've been telling disconnected events after disconnected event and so on and so forth. That really, like Travis was saying about DC events, you have to reboot the universe in order for there to be ramifications. Secret Wars was exactly that. And there was no need for that. I'm just going to throw one thing at DC events, not to defend DC, but that's really more with final crisis infinite crisis even though it does have it doesn't really change even though it does have it reboots a lot and it even though it does have those universal it does reboot a lot but it does it in a very subtle way yeah Yeah. like if you didn't if you weren't a comics i hate to use this word but if you weren't a comics nerd beforehand you wouldn't even realize a lot of the stuff that it rebooted but (laughs) i read it and i didn't think that much or stuff that its author didn't even realize it was rebooting like uh jason todd well no no the whole uh superboy punching Punching reality that was was outside of his yeah marv wolfman wrote that in a in a secret in a secret files and yeah, origins or whatever and it actually really pissed Jeff Johns off yep. but just my point is infinite crisis was built very similarly to civil war it was yeah they, with the they whole started in of the omax batman, and all that batman versus superman batman and superman sorry the public enemy storyline which was by i president by Lex jeff Luther. Lowe, president luther and that's that started in 2000 Two. And from there, they really laid all the groundwork for Infinite Crisis and, you know, through the Villains United miniseries and the Ranthanagar War and all this stuff. So, but I guess spinning back to what you were saying about event fatigue, the only thing that I feel about event fatigue and the only thing that I felt as maybe a more casual Marvel reader 
about that that period where all the stories kind of bled into each other, where we went from this to Planet Hulk to Secret Invasion to Siege, and I probably left one or two out. Dark Avengers. I think Dark that Avengers it, is awesome. I I think yeah. that it leaves. I think that not saying that this happened with Marvel, but I think the danger of telling stories like that is that it kind of smothers so much of the company that you may that for someone who's like me, generally, both my Marvel and DC reading, a lot of times I like reading... Solo. Kind I read, yeah, I read side characters, side-off teams, you know. I, I would say I don't read... I've n- never bought a monthly Batman book, but I've bought Nightwing forever. I've bought Batgirl forever. I buy Grayson. I buy, I've used to be a huge fan of the Tim Drake Robin book. And the only thing I feel like with having those, that kind of non-ending storyline where it feeds from crossover to crossover to crossover to crossover is it can kind of smother... The independent books. Yeah, it can kind of smother runs that really... That may, like it kind of smothers books that don't necessarily have anything to do with those runs. Well, I'll, I'll say this, then I think we're probably going to move on, but I think that that's a flaw in and and by the way that's a matter of perspective right so like i love to read my favorite characters involvement in the event so like i love it when it crosses over now not everybody feels that way and i don't i don't argue with that point of view because that's your reading and i don't i don't want to infringe on that but i will say that i i wish that companies would tell the 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 company wide story not in the event and not in that character's book but in a book that talks about all the characters and what's going on with them that sort of tells the story from different perspectives every issue. So like Civil War 1 would be Spider-Man, Civil War 2, Fantastic Four? Well, yes. Or Road to Civil War? There's Okay, so Dark Reign, right? Yeah. That was a a year-long Marvel overarching branch that told the story of, of Norman Osborn's time as, you know, the most powerful guy in the world. I wish that that was a book itself. That's which, what I'm which is sort of like the DC approach. Right. Like what they did post Infinite Crisis with and, Countdown. Yeah. But then that kind of brings up, and it, not that, it, but then that will bring up the, the classic comic nerdisms. If you have that book going, or even like if you have, like at DC right now, it's not universe wide, but they had Batman Eternal going for 52 weeks with all the characters involved but all the the bat books were all still going telling individual unrelated stories and people like i I do think there's an element of the companies kind of can't win yeah i think that for me a big difference uh in crossovers is the timing of it civil war had the benefit of lots of build-up just like uh infinite crisis had lots of build-up lots of time to develop definitely and so as frustrating as that can be in trying to collect everything you may need to fully understand those stories it's great in that there was that time and attention developing the uh, property. What is a little frustrating to me nowadays is that, you know, you look at the new 52 crossovers and there's been plenty of individual Bat Family crossovers like Death of the Family or uh, the uh, Court of Owls or City of Owls, Night of Owls, whichever one of those was the crossover. Night of Owls. Night of Owls, right. And I think that those, because they're on a little bit smaller scale and are happening much more concisely, they can make it like a one-month event, like go collect the Nightwing issue, the Batgirl issue, the Batman issue, the Dark uh, Knight issue, and you can get all of that all at once, which... DC can't really do for their major events because they've got too many titles to really pull that off effectively all at once in one month. But at the same time, without dedicating every title they have to a major crossover like Convergence, if every title had been written with the intention, knowing ahead of time, like we are building up to this event, to this Convergence, I feel like Convergence would have worked a whole lot better. Instead, we ended up with... Well, Convergence also was a way for them to 
have something to put out while they were moving coast. Right, so there was right. like a yeah. corporate reason for it. Well, absolutely. But that's what I think the story suffers from. Oh, definitely. It, you know, because there isn't the development and forethought going into it. There isn't the planning. And so you end up with that scramble of, okay, in Justice League, you've got Batman is now a god. But in Batman's own title, Batman's not even Batman. Right. But in Convergence he's on a different planet like there's no no longer be, was anything connecting to be fair to convergence which i do think is terrible for creative reasons but to be fair to convergence none of the tie-ins are the actual ongoing dc universe books there's no there's nothing set on the actual main dc yeah. earth so it, i think it would have been hard to kind of foreshadow that event in the main books since nothing about the events happens with the main earth characters they're purposely cut cut off from everything but i feel like there's always opportunities for stuff like that, particularly with Superman, who spends so much of his time like going outside of reality and outside of universes. Like there could have been something. I mean, even Convergence itself starts out with that exact thing happening, where he's been ripped from whatever universe he's in, has this confrontation with Telos, who's like, "Yo, I'm gonna tell you everything that's about to happen, and then put you back where you came from with no memory of this conversation." So I'm like, "All right, so great, a conversation that solely right. exists for exposition's sake for me." as the reader and has no reason to exist oh i agree the... i mean also the, the cynic inside me and the, the dc cynic especially will say that the reason they did that is because they didn't want to put the new 52 characters with the pre-new 52 characters right because the people who they were aiming convergence at the people who they hoped went out and bought a connor hawk green arrow two-month miniseries or a wally west flash book or a green lantern kyle ringer book or a, going back a justice league europe book or whatever are the people who don't like what they did with the new 52 right so i the cynic in me says that part of trying to keep that separate was totally separating that idea but we're way off topic well, I, now. I, I think I, I think that the ultimate answer to this is that there is no answer there are always going to be people who want their tie-ins done a certain way and it's ultimately always going to be subjective yeah i think just as long as the the company has the best intentions everybody will get a little something that can make them happy but there is something to be said for kind of letting an, an event curb it more organically you can still yeah. plan for it but you know having a little bit of a build-up being you know how many events do we have a year now like the big two will have like at least two yeah or three. and it's especially it's, around secret wars where they were announcing marvel was announcing like a new crossover like yeah. huge storyline that was recycling an old title like every week everything can't be huge if it's all huge, nothing's huge. Right. Which is... Well, it, it's just like, uh, uh, to speak on that same point, like uh, DC just published the you know Dark Knight Volume 3, you know, number one. They had like 100 different individual issues or 100 variant covers, right? So yeah. just like you're saying, if everything's huge, nothing's huge. If everything is individual and a variant cover, then nothing's there's, worth there's, anything. There's kind of this artificiality to kind of prop up like, oh, we're selling out. We had 100 different variant covers. You know, it's, right. if, if it's the same people buying it, you know, are you really growing? There's kind of a lot of kind of not fixing the books but a way well, to it, kind of it, make you it's like it's artificial valuation yeah it's yeah you know which isn't that uh, what killed the uh, market in the 90s yes yep. and you know a mainstream produced book now is never be going to become as valuable as the books from 30s or even the 60s or the 70s so if you do a mainstream produced book but you give it a a one of a hundred variant cover, that variant cover will rock it up in price and it'll look like you're making books that are standing the test of time yeah, but if you have a popular mainstream book and you've got one variant cover and you know that for every 5,000 cover A's, there's one cover B, 
that's the only reason that a variant cover ever really serves right. any sort of purpose. You've got to have that scarcity in order for there to be any value. And I think the same thing is very true of these crossover events. It becomes much less special if every year there's exactly. a new crossover. Exactly. Event. It also depends, and I think this is kind of to Sean's point too, it, it, it does depend. It also does depend on what your definition of a crossover is. Yeah, yeah. Like cross, you know, like you've got your DC style crossovers, your Marvel style crossovers, whatever. But like a lot of what came out of Civil, War, for example, like something like Siege, that's not really necessarily a comic book crossover in the traditional sense, as much as it's the culmination to that ongoing storyline. I think what I need to call it instead of a crossover is an event. Right. Um, there you go. Because like, you know, like we were saying, Night of Owls is a crossover of Batman titles and that was an event for the Batman titles, but as like It wasn't event, like a universe. It, exactly. It wasn't something event. that mattered to everything in the DC universe. So that's sort of the kind of thing I'm talking about here. Like these big events, um, not just like smaller crossovers, because obviously you can have like Spider-Man in this issue have happens to get some help from Daredevil and like technically yes that's a crossover but it's not a crossover with universe changing ramifications. So let's uh, take a quick break we'll eat some food and we'll come back and talk about how any of what we just talked about and read in the Civil War stories could possibly make it onto the screen. Okay, so we are back for the Civil War podcast, and I wanted to talk with you guys about the upcoming Civil War movie, and obviously it can't be quite the extent that the comic book was because there are not nearly as many characters in the MCU right now, and that's just one of the many differences I think we're going to see. So let's uh, let's talk about what are some of the differences you guys anticipate for the uh, Captain America Civil War movie. Well, first of all, we're going to have to go into the issue of secret identities, which is what everyone's been thinking about. Secret identities are not particularly big in uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They're not, uh, they have not been no one prominent. Has, no one has one. The only the person who does, if we're counting the Netflix shows, is Daredevil. He's which, literally the only character in right. any part of the MCU with a uh, and, secret identity. And Spider-Man. Spider oh, right, we right. Well, yeah. Well, we don't know yet. But. Right. As of right now, what from what we've seen, it's just Daredevil. Everyone else is a government agent of some kind. Marissa Tomei is Anne May. <laughs> I actually, I'll be that honest. And like anyone who's been listening to this podcast has probably picked up by now that Civil War wasn't my favorite story in the world. I actually think the movie has the potential to be much better than the comic. I think the movie is going to be fantastic. For starters, I first of all, I think that, and I'm almost surprised they used it. I feel like the movie, like calling this movie Civil War is going to be akin to like, had they called the first Avengers movie The Ultimates. It's going to be close. It's going to be close enough to call it an adaptation, but it's not going to be a strict adaptation right like i actually think that without without secret identities because what you lose and some people can i'm all for political allegory but i feel like once you lose a secret identity thing you're going to lose a lot of the political allegory that goes with it and really what the movie civil war at least seems to be about is really just based on this idea of New York was decimated in the Avengers. Washington superhero accountability. Right. Washington DC was decimated in Winter Soldier. Fake Eastern European country was Sokovia. There you go. Was decimated in Age of Ultron. And I, I think what you're going to have is mo is more built around the concept of accountability. And what I like, I know we were discussing this earlier, is the Stanford incident works as an inciting incident within the comic. But I like the idea of less, and I'm sure there'll be something that happens in the movie. It looks like something would happen with Bucky it like, seems towards like, the beginning uh, of the movie. From my understanding, Crossbones is going to commit some sort of terrorist act that Bucky ends up taking the blame for in someone's eyes. 
but less one specific event right. as opposed to and we've been building just, to the accountability. You can't have this many battles at the end of the movies. Right. And like we've kind of seen it slowly building. We saw it slowly at the end of we saw it a little bit even at the end of the first Avengers within the news reports. We saw it in Winter Soldier with the hearings we see we even saw it in avengers in age of ultron a little bit they played with the idea of less people being trusting of the avengers well we even saw some of that in uh iron man 2 when it came down to like okay who should be able to have this suit should the government be able to have and deploy this suit or should it be privatized and only in the hands of one special person and who can we even trust right and you know to get back to our our argument for characterization, I actually think because of the way the movies have set up Tony Stark and because of the journey he's been on from the first Iron Man through the sequels, through the Avengers, to creating Ultron, to me, it actually, it makes more more sense and it's more organic that by the beginning of, by the beginning of Civil War, Tony Stark would believe that there should be more consequences to what they do, that they should be held accountable. Yeah. Because in the end, he feels like he should be held accountable for creating Ultron. Mm -hmm. I agree with Brian. I think that it actually feels like two separate opinions as in, uh, in the movie version, as opposed to, you know, uh, one side is clearly on the wrong and the other is clearly on the right. I think they're a little more evenly matched. Now I found myself in the movie kind of going, okay, Well, what's interesting to me from the trailer is, you know, Captain America, again, has the strong connection to the government and always has. Tony's been the outsider. And Cap has seen in, you know, Captain America, too, that the government can't really be trusted. They have been infiltrated in the past. So it makes a lot of sense for Captain America to be uh, anti-registration in a way that I think while I understood where Cap was coming from in the comic, I think it makes a lot more sense in the context of this movie. I I think both are actually... Now, granted, that's also because the movie universe is by comparison's sake, smaller and more compact, I actually think the motivations... It's funny because I've seen people say like, oh, they're shoehorning in the conflict between Cap and Tony Stark. No, I think it feels more I actually think it feels more organic because the points that both have have been more organically expressed. Right, and and I feel like that conflict has been foreshadowed since the first Avengers movie, the very first time that they meet and get into any sort of conversation. Oh, well, you're not really a hero. You're not the one to fall on a grenade when your team needs you. And I, I cut the wire. You right, exactly. fall on the wire to cut the wire. Yep, so I think that the conflict has been foreshadowed so well throughout, uh, particularly the two Avengers movies with those two characters. But even in their own movies, getting to see the development of their feelings feelings about the government, of their feelings about regulations concerning weapons and, you know, superpowers and right, like Tony Stark. You basically in in the most recent sequels and solo sequels, Iron Man 3 and Cap 2, you've probably seen Tony become more willing to accept not having everything under his total control and you've seen Cap become a lot more willing to he's, not trust the government. He's become less naive right. and idealistic. And I think that oh, kind of opens up a bit of a, an oh, it kind of creates a bit of an opening in order to deal with some of these other characters like your Black Widow to kind of explore well, which side are they choosing in this movie due to the fact that we have so much kind of past experience with Iron Man and Cap in their movies to kind of see their psyche. I find myself totally disagreeing with all of you. I actually think that Iron Man's perspective being pro whatever it's going to be makes no sense because considering the that the fact that this this tale is so linear, right? We're only all we know is from Iron Man part 1. 
Shield is so corrupt that I can't imagine any reason why anybody would ever want to work with them. Well, well at this point, Shield has been disbanded. Right, there really like, is no Shield. I don't yeah. think it's necessarily but, Shield that they're but working with. It's the government. But the government itself is also corrupt. In in Captain America Part Two, we saw that there were many government officials who were Hydra agents. Yeah, but it wasn't the American government it that went Shield. down. It was Shield that went yeah. down. But what I'm saying is that there well, were there were American American people who were government agents who were corrupt. But again, just, all of this was discovered by Captain America. Hold on, I, I just not have, Iron Man. I just Iron have, Man has never trusted the government. I just, also in, true. That's also I just true. have a question. This is a serious question because I actually I don't know, and I'm kind of I'm the kind of person who I try and, at, at some point when a movie gets close to release, I tend to try and cut myself off from reading too many release materials, so I don't know too much going in, especially since I know so much about these characters yeah. already. Has it been established that it's working solely with the government? Because all that I gleaned from the trailers was more or less that Tony wanted the Avengers or or whatever, whatever, maybe renaming, you know, to be like this overarching ideal where then they would be accountable just in the sense that they would go like they, they would be under some kind of rule of law, not necessarily that they would become agents of the government it doesn't make it clear that it's the government it just Th- basically that, so that was my question was it was there something well, that i missed no, that maybe made that clear the the best thing that they've really or the most informative thing they've said is about the sokovia accords right. so it seems to be some sort of a united nations agreement that right and what these I are kinda, the restrictions right or and i kind of took that more as like a Paris, yeah. That that the Avengers would be agreeing to these restrictions, not that they would necessarily be working with, not that they would necessarily become agents of the government. Right. So was my interpretation. The restriction would be something like what? Don't blow up buildings. Don't like, like, like I, that well, doesn't even make I, sense. I think I, I don't think, think we have enough information. Yeah, I think uh, we right. Don't I don't think that we. I don't think too. that we know enough. But something yet. similar to like the Paris Accords for climate change if you heard that recently where it's like basically everyone kind of agrees we want to don't want to do this kind of create some laws and create some goals for them well i think the sokovia accords are about consequences for your actions and i think that that in general is missing the big picture of what it is that the superheroes do which i think is where cap is going to be coming from like yes there was destruction in the incident in new york city but had the avengers not been there the destruction would have been global and Definitely. everyone would have gotten destroyed but we so. don't know what the actual accords are in terms of well that's true like to, we yeah. said we don't have a yeah. lot of information to, to travis's point though that's what makes this happening when it's happening so silly i'm not a fan that they're making this movie i think it's gonna be good and i'm excited for it but think about what led to the civil war event in the comics you had heroes doing things that were unequivocally damaging to the public Mm -hmm. and they didn't have a reason to the hulk destroyed vegas just because he's the hulk wolverine killed people because he was under mind control those are real things that the public would want to you know have under control and that the heroes themselves would look and say hey wolverine's crazy that's what the thing says in the uh, first issue you just reminded me something the the one other thing is the hulk and hulkbuster battle in avengers 2 that's probably another one that 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 would make sense to me but when you're going to talk about New York or what happened in Sokovia, they were saving the world from villains. Those right. the world would not exist right. if they didn't do what they did. But and, I, and I, Iron Man knows that. I'm not. Way. I'm not. Count, I'm not necessarily arguing with you as much as I'll, I'll give like the same counterpoint that someone would probably give in the movie. Okay, you're right. But why did New York happen? Because of Loki. And in the grand scheme of public understanding and governmental understanding, Loki, Thor, Asgardian, Link. What happened with S.H.I.E.L.D.? We don't really know how much the public knows or doesn't know. We know that Cap was part of bringing down that helicarrier over Washington, D.C. Was there a better way that he could have gone about that? Or even Avengers 2. 
why did that happen? You're right. That country would no longer exist. But where did Ultron come from to begin with? Right. But but Iron Man knows that the reason New York happened is because of the villains doing. So it doesn't make right, sense but, to but me. Tony wait, hold on. Let me finish. Let me finish. It doesn't make sense to me that Iron Man would want to or agree that the heroes need regulation because of, hold on, wait, because of mistakes that they have made when he's been fighting lockstep with these people who've only ever tried to do the right thing. Well, I think... Because even when they try to do the right thing, there's situations where doing the right thing is ends up being the wrong thing. Look at the creation of Ultron. He created Ultron with the intention of doing the right thing, making the Avengers obsolete by having a global protection force that could face any problem that they had. And so, like... He, he is very aware he was trying to do the right thing, but this is a situation where doing the right thing ended up being completely the wrong thing, and he doesn't have anyone really to answer so to. So maybe Iron Man's the one who needs regulation. Oh, sorry. Also, we don't know what Crossbones does, right? I mean, like right. one what I thought this could be would be Crossbones, terrorist event, whatever. Bucky gets the thing, but we don't really know, like, why. Like, Cap, Cap is obviously going to believe Bucky, right? Long-lost friend. But we what if, I mean, is Tony going to believe cap what that, that was one thing that i always thought was so interesting yeah give me one second brian you, you're talking about the bucky and cap relationship and the tony cap relationship and the trailer where tony is like uh or you know you know he's my friend but so was i like, so was i but in every movie you guys have never seen eye to eye you've been teammates i'll agree with that but you've never been friends and definitely not friends to the point that captain america is going to side with you versus a friend of his from that he that he fought alongside with in world war ii and grew up alongside of for right. me honestly the the thing that i'm looking forward to the most in terms of dynamic you know you talk about civil war being brother versus brother and i think that the relationship where we're going to see that the most is between black widow and hawkeye i think that is the yes. dynamic that i'm most interested to see playing off of each other i think that the movie version is going to be more than just cap versus iron man i think it's going to be a little more broad in terms of the central relationships because the bucky aspect i think was winter soldier had happened during the course of the comic of civil war yet had it winter no. soldier no. no yes wait yes, yes. It has. winter it has. soldier yeah. had but bucky hadn't taken over and was like sort of hiding out during the course of civil okay. war right but i think it's going to be much more prominent you know bucky is it's a captain america movie as opposed to you know a civil war event bucky is definitely going to be much more prominent not just in getting it started but in terms of character motivation well i i also wonder and i actually pulled up the sokovia accords were uh, and i forgive because i didn't know this it was really they were released as like a special like insert in the the marvel phase two box set and basically the keyword at the bottom here is um shall no longer operate freely or unregulated but instead operate under the rules ordinances and governances of the aforementioned united nations panel acting only when and if the panel deems it appropriate and or necessary so basically it seems like the thing that the movie's equivalent of pro registration is going to shoot for is the concept that the avengers can't fly in somewhere willy-nilly of their own accord which i i, I do think and I, I can see i do think that at the end of the day this is once again setting up for the audience to feel like that's stupid and captain america's side is right well especially considering that this is a captain america but movie number one saying, and number two america movie the other thing too is that we know that we're going to see some semblance of the thunderbolts in this movie because we do? yeah we do, do? 
there's... see that that might be the kind of thing that I too much. I didn't out. know. I didn't hear that. I didn't either. I'm okay. Maybe we don't know that. <laughs> but they're bringing they're bringing General Ross into the picture. Thunderbolt okay. Ross. Yeah. He's going to be using crossbones in some way, shape, or form. Or maybe not he, but I'm get, what I'm getting at is you've got General Thunderbolt Ross already in here, who we already know has connections in the comics to being you know the leader of the Thunderbolts, and then later on the Red Hulk. So the fact that he's brought into this movie would I would be surprised if we didn't see at the very least some foreshadowing of what the Thunderbolts will eventually. I think be. he's I more of just, a glorified cameo. But. I also just wanted to say something else really quick about those accords and what they lead me to think. And again, like I said, I've kind of tried to ignore as much building stuff as possible, but I part of me wonders if there is it people blame Bucky or is there a terrorist attack committed by Crossbones where Bucky then goes to stop Crossbones and in the process of stopping him does more damage oh, yeah, than possible. the it- attack itself would have done which then leads me to understand the same way of New York or Sokovia or Washington DC this idea of well if you hadn't gone in completely on your own and ended up causing more damage, maybe if you had worked in tune with insert governmental agency or insert military, the the collateral damage could have been lessened. I want to say that, you know, and I'm, I'm going to preface this, none of us obviously have seen the movie. This is before the movie. Um, I'm actually in it. Uh, <laughs> I play civilian We're talking seven. to Jeremy Renner right here. You guys don't Hi, know that. I'm a non-threatening uh, Caucasian male who's in Hawkeye. Thank you. So without having seen it, I have to say that I feel that the plot is very thin. And I don't think that based on where these characters are in the Marvel Universe, that this movie needs to be made. And I think that based on what you just said, Brian, about you know reading the Sokovia Accords, I think that it's, it makes it even dumber that Iron Man would even want to associate himself See, but I, 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 I think that beyond anything, beyond the stuff that I think justifies it in Iron Man 2 and Iron Man 3, I think that Tony's guilt... And again, I'm looking at it from the perspective of the movie is really going to play the Tony is wrong. Yeah. I think that Tony's guilt over Ultron is going to play a huge is gonna, role. Is going to be the motivating factor to the well, point let's... where I actually think that I think that the movie's climax and I am totally just making this up. But like Are you I, sure you don't have any yeah, inside information? Uh, totally. I'm I'm actually one of the Russo brothers. I'm the third Russo brother. Oh wow. Um I'm Kevin Feige. It's been great talking to you guys. I think that the movie is gonna wind up with something akin to the climax that a lot of people thought the comic was gonna have and didn't, which is I could see something where first of all, I you know, we were talking people a lot of people talking about who will die. I think that you might see like one from each side die so that neither side is necessarily thought of as as the one who took the losses. So I'm looking at you, Hawkeye and James Rhodes. But I think that you could even see maybe Cap dies and that convinces Tony and maybe this is where Ross comes into it, that maybe there was like an overarching conspiracy. Because like a lot of the thought when Civil War was originally being published, like earlier on, Sean talked about like on message boards and whatever. A lot of the thought was that, oh, it's going to come out that this is being orchestrated by someone else. And in the end, the two sides will come together to to fight that force. Or that Miriam Sharp is a scroll. Right, yeah. I'm, I'm still not entirely convinced <laughs> that uh, the guy that we see in Captain America 2 and Iron Man 2, the senator, the uh, senator Larry Sanders. Hydra, Larry Sanders. <laughs> I'm not entirely Gary convinced Chandler. yet that that 
isn't the Red Skull because there has been really? storylines in the comic where the Red Skull has had his face changed and has taken on governmental roles like that. And this guy's been a part of this universe since Iron Man 2. Which, I'm skeptical well, just because Gary Shandling as the Red Skull is hilarious and I can't comprehend it. Well, I think as soon as he peeled off his mask, he would be a different actor. Which would, all, which would also be a, <laughs> an interesting way to get around recasting the Red Skull since apparently Hugo Weaving doesn't Has want anything no to do with the MCU anymore. But you can't just get like that can't be the end of that character though the way he went out in right. captain america one cannot be the end of the red skull for how big of a character he is in the comic books and this would be a perfect opportunity to start bringing him back in in the shadows i agree as some sort of a uh, puppet master of this whole thing which could interestingly fit into how he plays into the death of captain america in yep. the comics mm -hmm. i would be very satisfied with that actually but i do without without saying that if you hadn't said that and still even though you said that, I, I kind of agree with Sean and that I think this was, is too early. I think it I, is too. I think we need more people. Um, it depends on I, the execution and what yeah, it differs. Yeah, I, I think this, honestly, I think we need more people. I think we need it to be two parts. See, for me I, to be I, I'm going to come right out of it and say that I, I totally disagree. And I, actually, I'll, I'll, and I'll even go into why I disagree, like just slightly. To me, Age of Ultron, whether one can argue if Whedon was trying to create to me, Age of Ultron and Civil War are combining together to almost be the Empire Strikes Back of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, okay. of the core Marvel Cinematic Universe, where I think that you you had like, let's say that phase one culminating in the Avengers is, is Star Wars, is, is A New Hope, is the original Star Wars. You kind of have this darkening and then you have Age of Ultron and we can argue if they executed it successfully or it not. But Age of Ultron, I think clearly what they were shooting for is this concept of the Avengers at the beginning of that movie are flying so high that then they get torn down by, by just the very existence of Ultron that even though they win, it's not really a win. Combined with what happened to Cap and Winter Soldier, and then I think you kind of culminate it with, with Civil War, which again, I think, I think that this whole conversation kind of goes back to this idea that if this movie weren't called Civil War, and it was... I think the reaction would be would be more like, oh, that they're taking elements of Civil War. That's cool. But because they're calling it Civil War, there's this concept because the Civil War name, kind of going back to what we said earlier, has become this, this idea of a grandiose event in Marvel history. There's this concept that, oh, Civil War should be bigger. I actually think this is the, the perfect time for Civil War because I think that really what this is all building to is that the two-part Infinity War is going to be in a lot of ways the major climax of the MCU that we've seen up to now. That even if the MCU continues, that's where you're going to start seeing recasting, either re uh, replacement characters or just recast main characters and kind of like maybe a stripping down of continuity to then build it back up again. Well, and I think Infinity Gauntlet would be a great opportunity to do that, considering at the end of the comic series, they basically have to reconstruct reality and undo everything and that Thanos does. And rebuild the Avengers. Right. But I think that my biggest issue with how soon Civil War is starting, and I think that Avengers 2 handled Thor really well in terms of him getting out of the picture. Um, and I think Thor Ragnarok is going to tell us a little bit more about that as well. I think that we needed to see more development as to where the hell Hulk is because they just have him flying away in a jet. And while there is a suggestion of where he's going to go, we won't apparently see the results of that until Thor I, Ragnarok. I, I actually, I'll be honest. I think that there's a little bit of a misdirection in that. I think so too. I don't necessarily think Hulk is going to be in Civil War, but I, 
or even I don't know if Ruffalo is going to appear in Civil War, but I think that by the end of Civil War, it's going to be established exactly where Banner is and what he was doing. I think so too. I think so too. But I think that going into Civil War in the comic books, it was already known he's not a factor for both him and for Thor, which are things that haven't necessarily been answered up to this point. So I feel like for Hulk in particular, things feel a little bit rushed on that respect. But see, I, I, I guess what I'm getting at is I kind of I kind of have a feeling that Banner may be working somewhere. I think like I feel I I I'll, I feel like Banner is a presence in Civil War. What? So I think the idea of that they haven't written him out yet is I don't think he's getting written out from Civil War period. What I would really love to see in the Civil War movie and this goes back to what I was saying about Hawkeye and Black Widow and let's take in the relationship dynamic between Bruce Banner and Black Widow as well. If the Hulk is somehow used or corrupted or manipulated into some sort of an attack at the beginning of Civil War, and that is somehow involved in the uh, creation of these Sokovia Accords, if that is the inciting incident of the movie, and if the Hulk somehow ends up killing Hawkeye's family, like we discussed, then you've got a very interesting dilemma for Black Widow because she's in love with Bruce Banner who just uncontrollably killed her best friend's family and like Mm -hmm. I said even the fact that the two of them are on opposite sides in the first place like I'm almost positive that either Hawkeye or his family is going to die. I don't think that Joss Whedon would have pushed so hard for all of the family stuff on the farm to be part of Avengers 2 if not for some just tragic tragic events for somebody in that family in this next movie. Now, if I'm going to switch gears a little bit, unless you want to talk about this. It's still about Civil actually, War. But, uh, Sean, you go first, and then I just want to pick on something Travis said, and then we can switch gears. Cause well, I, have- I, I just want to comment on the fact that this... So, so here's the thing, right? If you remove the idea that this is civil war like just say say the comic book never ever happened right because i'm i'm a big proponent that the the movies should not be beholden to the comics i didn't care that age of ultron was called age of ultron it doesn't matter it's gonna be different if you just look at this narratively you can't say that there's been enough done to to give ample reason why these characters would fight and nearly kill each other for these ideals i disagree i i actually disagree i'll be honest okay but Furthermore, I don't feel that Tony as a character is being treated fairly because if he's coming at this from the perspective of, oh, I committed the the things with Ultron, I'm guilty. Well, okay, so he's reacting emotionally, and that's that's useless. That 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 has no there's there's no logical basis to that, right? Because he's just saying I did something bad, so everyone should have to be beholden to these new rules because of me. I I think that's ridiculous. Well, but uh, see, I I don't think that it's just that. I think that the Ultron is his personal motivating factor well let's not also forget to scarlet Witch's uh dream or vision or whatever that she implanted into his head which was also a major part of his motivation to create ultron in the first place he's seen and believes that it is inevitable that everyone that he knows and loves is going to be destroyed in some sort of galactic cataclysmic event at his feet at his feet and that it's all going to be because he didn't do enough so I think that that is his primary motivation going into civil war because if he sees that the government wants to do this and he sees this is a way to regulate us to get us working together as a team better than we ever have before and be prepared in the event of this huge ass cataclysm, then we are actually ready for it and this is me doing what I can to make that happen to get us prepared. I just I think don't think Age of Ultron did a great job of kind of showing that. I think that it 
it kind of created a conflict too quickly and then resolved it a bit too quickly at the end. I get that the Civil War feels logical and I think it as the next step, but I just think Age of Ultron almost ripped a Band-Aid and then put it on and said everything's okay. If, if if you look at Age of Ultron, though, at the end of the movie, they're not even disassembled, right? Exactly. Well, they're they're, they're buddy-buddy. Well, I think well, that's no, no. Where, I mean, Iron Man's no longer a part of the Avengers by the end of the but movie. But there's no malice, though. He just leaves the no, team. No, no, I get it. Yeah. I, I still sensed some malice between Iron Man and Captain America I by the end too. of that. I, mean, I, I, think, I think at the end, uh, that's where it suffers from, I think, that Joss Whedon set out to just make a sequel to his Avengers movie. And, you know, we can argue until the cows come home about Cross Universe. But I, I think Sean's right that it does suffer from that no, a I little bit. No, I agree with Sean. But I also do, I, I don't think that there was enough buddy-buddy that, like, that yeah. lets me erase the confrontation that they had earlier yeah, in the film. Yeah, I definitely didn't as much think as they I, were like... I feel like Tony and Steve and part of what's been built up with them with the MCU is maybe they don't necessarily like each other, but there's a mutual respect yeah. that at times can be affection if they're not pushing each other's buttons, but that if they are pushing each other's buttons, it's very... it's restrained dislike because of respect and that if one stops respecting the other... I see conflict breaking out very easily. I also think that kind of like us as as movie viewers, and you know, you said about destruction porn earlier and we look at the, you know, it, it's easy to say like, oh, just because of Ultron, but think about it. In the course of these movies, whether who, who you can blame or not, in the course of the MCU, we've had... Harlem got destroyed in an incredible hall. Harlem got destroyed. New York. New Mexico uh, got destroyed. Los the, Angeles had some major shit happen with the whole uh, like highway chase and all that in Iron Man 1. Right. Iron Man, Iron Man 2, two had the whole world's Monaco and, and the and the Stark Expo, Iron Man 3, Avengers in New York, Avengers 2, D- Washington DC in in Captain America in Winter too. Soldier, San Francisco in and Ant-Man, London and a whole bunch of different places in right. Thor 2. Wakanda or that yeah. area outside the that was Winter City that was So this destruct that th- highway in Deadpool like people were impaled. Well that 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 hey, doesn't hey, actually hey. He was there already. That doesn't tie in but <laughs> I I mean yeah, I'm, I'm I'm not expecting Deadpool to come into this movie, but I can see it. You you have this like build and build and build of destruction. And again, like to us as movie viewers, like we've been watching, we've become desensitized to it. And we've been watching these movies over the course of six years. If you stop and kind of cram it down into that small time frame. Where is it that they is it is it South it's South Korea right where they go in in Age of Ultron where there's that other huge chase scene yeah right oh yeah with yeah. uh with Hulk with Buster. Natasha on the bike yeah. and and the Hulk I'm not even talking about that I'm talking about with Natasha uh, chase on Ultron. the bike yeah, yeah when they chase Ultron like there there's been so much worldwide destruction that I can definitely buy into the ideas of governments trying to come up with something and. Stark, because he is feeling so guilty and so conflicted and doesn't know what this vision is, and already in Iron Man 3 was conflicted about the very concept of being Iron Man, I could totally see Stark being susceptible to listening to people who will then change his mind. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. I, to me, I buy it. And he I might think not that the, be the one I think who comes up with the there. idea. He like, isn't. No, but I'm saying as opposed to Civil War, even though he doesn't come up with a superhuman registration, it feels like he's the first kind of one to bring but, it up. But if you read, but in the comic book, he orchestrates an attack by Titanium Man a, yeah, right, in but, order to show the government no, why we right, need superheroes. But I, but I don't think that... I don't think that the comic is going to have any bearing on it. No, like it I said, I think but... this movie could have been called like Captain America 3 Avengers Punch-Out or whatever. Like and and like people wouldn't react. I just want to say one 
one other thing that like popped into my head and just just because read the amount of characters i actually think it's better that there's a small amount of characters in the mcu i, I would agree because we're going to be able to establish whether we agree with them or not will be like a discussion for another podcast we are going to be able to establish the motivation for each of them and why they are on that side honestly my other thing too is i don't think by the end of civil war the entire conflict of the movie is going to just be between cap and iron man i think we're going to see very similar to what's going to happen in batman v superman how there's ultimately some kind of force for them to unite against i think we're going to see something very similar to that well, yeah zemo, that's what i meant earlier. In it. like either Z- right. yeah, Thund- zemo. maybe maybe thunderbolt ross is zemo like to tie back to like the reveal of the old kurt they already Busiek, cat, original thunderbolt yeah Jake's right, but the guy from like, Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, but maybe oh, like maybe in a disguise eh, of some kind. I don't believe it. I don't know. Well, because General Ross is too much of a character on his own to have it be revealed that he is somebody else. I think. Yeah, it would come it, off it, as a bit cheap. I think I could see it being that senator guy I brought up earlier because he's not like a well-established MCU character or you know, even comic book character. But I don't think they would do that with General Ross. I think I'm actually very interested to see the dynamic between Ross and Tony, given the uh, the whole fact that the reason Tony was sent to talk to Thunderbolt Ross to recruit the Abomination was because Samuel L. Jackson, Nick Fury, knew that Tony's personality was so abrasive that there's no way he and General Ross could ever see eye to eye on this issue. So I think that that's very interesting that General Ross is brought back into this and that Tony ends up seeing his perspective and joining his side. And that's why I think, again, we're going to see some sort of you know, puppet master pulling the strings of this whole situation. So I'm, f- which I think could I think Cap's death, like a late in the film death of Cap, either and death I of think Cap. That's what's going to be the uniting factor. Or the only other thing that I've thought of is I could totally see the heroes just fighting each other, and somehow Hawkeye's family is killed by crossbones or or someone while they're busy fighting each other and that could be the inciting incident to get them to stop fighting each other and go fight whoever is revealed to be the the third act villain i think it's going to be baron zemo ends up being our third act villain he hides crossbones kill captain america maybe even in the middle of the battle that like is going on between both sides and that's the incident that unites all the heroes like holy shit somebody that's not us involved themselves in this and killed one of us which is not what we were trying to or do. if not in the middle of the battle maybe while the battle is going on cap gets killed like off to the side sort of like not that they're related but sort of like if anybody's ever read the death of ultimate peter parker peter is killed in a battle with the green goblin and none of the avengers are able to save him because they were all busy having like a knockdown drag out fight between mm-hmm. two between the ultimate avengers and the ultimates i think if they end up uniting against another villain that that actually takes away from both of their arguments yeah i'm kind of i'm kind of with sean on this i I'm curious to see what role Zemo plays, and I feel like Puppet Master feels a little bit... I think it works more for Lex Luthor in Batman versus Superman. I don't... Even if the movie is on, you know, depending on the quality, I don't know if we necessarily need a Puppet Master or, you know, how to resolve it. I'm, I it might be a little cheap to just have them be like, oh. I just, with a two and a half hour running time, think that there's got to be a lot more to what's going on in this movie than oh, just Cap definitely. versus Iron Man. But I think there might be more in the middle as opposed to more at the end. You know, there might be more. I think that we'll get a lot of establishing of why. And, and there's so much we don't even know. Right. right. There's We're a lot of speculation. conversation so, about a two and a half hour movie. Exactly. With only five, two six hours minutes and 40 of. Two hours minutes or two and a half hours? Two and a half hours. One thing I do want to talk about switching gears 
Warriors is what role are two new heroes going to play? It's funny because actually I was going to say like I'm amazed that we've gone like a half hour into discussing Civil War the movie and the word Spider-Man haven't I been wasn't said actually once. thinking about Spider-Man even though Black he's Panther. one of the, I Panther. was thinking about the Panther. Yeah, yeah so, Black Panther is going to be cool. So we know, I, I think his, his trade is really cool for the Civil War yeah, his stuff is great. That's him and Storm, all the stuff. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like that, but it's like, and it's not like balls out like Black Panther kicking ass. It's like, well, I guess it is, but like not like physically. It's more of like diplomacy, you know. Like, I guess there is that. There is that really cool fight though. But anyway, yeah, there's like a lot of diplomacy, and I think, and I think what we're gonna get more of in the movie is like not that. I think we're gonna get more of like Black Panther like advocating for like. Wakanda and then like kicking ass. Yeah, I'm pretty sure his whole point of this is going to be like, yo, you guys came into my country and you screwed shit up. You destroyed one of my cities. Nobody told you you were welcome into my country. Why is the United States sending an army into Wakanda without letting us know or asking permission or saying anything? Which is where I feel like it ties into the concept of the Sokovia Accords. Like I could see T'Challa being like this leading diplomatic voice of saying that the Avengers have to play by some set of rules that they cannot just show up in a sovereign nation without alerting the sovereign nation, right. without working with the sovereign nation. Yeah, because Black like, Panther could have gone in and taken care of a bunch of shit on his own, maybe. Right. Or at and, least tried to. And then he, you know, his link could be what, um, and I always forget his name, the character Martin, that Martin Freeman, Martin Freeman. is playing. And uh, I forget Peter Henry Peter Gyrich? No, no, that's no? Uh, that's X-Men. I forget his name. He was in the he was in the Black Panther stories that we did the podcast about a couple months ago. I can't remember the name. But, but he, he's basically Black Panther's... Oh, Christopher Priest one. He's basically Black Panther's... Yeah, the Christopher Priest one. He's Black Panther's, like, Handler. CIA handler and like attache to the US government. And I could see that playing a role where Panther is kind of like the the leading diplomatic voice, like the the person who is on that team to who is on that side to try and get them to play by established local rules and work with, you know, governments of whatever country that they're going into. Which again, to me, I know what you were saying, Sean, but to me it does kind of make sense that not necessarily governmental control, but the concept of if you're the Avengers and you, oh, there's something, we've discovered something going on in, um, where is it that they are in the beginning of Avengers 2? Where is that castle supposed to be? Is that in Sokovia? I don't remember. Uh, um, Germany? No. I think it is supposed to be Sokovia, but I honestly don't the know. The one with Baron uh, Von Strucker? Right. I don't remember. Latveria? <laughs> Like to me, like I could very easily see the a meta, uh, an argument being made in a fictional United Nations. If you knew, if you realized that there was something wrong there, instead of you flying in on your jet and not telling anyone and having a humongous destructive battle, you know, you could have worked with the local authorities. People could have been evacuated. Yeah, right now there's literally... They could have sent in military support for you. Right and, now... I, and I could see Cap turning around and saying, I've been a tool for the government before, and I see now that being a tool for any government or agency is not something that I want to be again because you never know who you can. And the same way like Tony is driven by guilt, you can make the argument that Steve is driven by Cynicism. paranoia of what happened with Shield. Tony's paranoid too. He's portrayed that way from the first event. Oh yeah, no definitely. I'm it's just always been I'm like just that. more saying to the idea of like cheapening the ending like if there's a third party villain i i can see where it would cheapen the ending but i also think that what's going to happen is you're going to end up with a compromise where tony realizes he went too far one way steve realizes he went too far the other way 
or Steve's side, if Steve ends up dead at the end of it, realizes they went too far the other way and they come to some sort of compromised resolution or the movie ends just with the Avengers totally disassembled to be brought back together for the Infinity War. I think what we're going to end up seeing is if there is a third act villain... There isn't going to be a resolution that sees everyone united. I think we can leave it on a note where we agreed to put our differences aside for the sake of stopping whatever this threat is. And now that that threat is done, it's sort of like at the end of uh, the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. The pirates have escaped, but throughout the movie they've saved Elizabeth Swan. They've ended up actually doing good things. Even though these guys are criminals... Let's give them a day or two's head start before we start chasing after them. I could see us leaving the Captain America Civil War movie on a very similar note where, you know what? We do not see eye to eye. You guys are criminals. We are going to chase you. But for right now, we've put our differences aside to stop Cap's killer or whatever. We owe you at least the courtesy of getting a day or two's head start before we start hunting I could, you down. I could even see it go further. I could even see it being like at the end of it, we're going to be this new UN sponsored team or whatever. And you're the, the fake Avengers. And the, the rest of you have total amnesty. And let's just separate ways. I, I don't okay. know. I'm just wondering how everyone's going to get united I'm in also the curious. Infinity Gauntlet well, my, my The Russos are doing all of them. So there's going to be a, this is the first time in a while you've really seen back-to-back movies. You know, Whedon had the Avengers and then they had the solos in between. There wasn't that same sense of kind of... Well, I, I, I feel, except for uh, Thor, but Thor's not really involved in this one anyway. Yeah. So there's re- But I, I feel like, Travis, to answer your question, I feel like the setup, I've, I felt for a while that the setup is going to wind up being whatever is left of the Avengers, whatever the Avengers is coming out of Civil War, is going to get trashed by Thanos. The heroes who have departed the Avengers are going to one by one come back and it's still not going to be enough. They're going to get trashed by Thanos. And then the ending of the end of Infinity War Part 1 is going to be someone using the Life Stone to bring Steve Rogers back to life as the uniting force of the Avengers. And then Steve will lead the fully united Avengers team in Infinity War Part 2 to fight Thanos. That would be really cool. I think something along the script... I think something along those same lines, I don't think we're going to see the Hulk back with the group in any way until the uh, second Avengers uh, Infinity War movie as well. I think that's when Thor and Hulk are going to come back in, and I think that's also when we're going to see the Guardians of the Galaxy come in. I think you're very right in saying, like, first movie main Avengers team totally trounced and then second movie they start calling in backup like right. okay you guys think, you're and, and secret Avengers or whatever you are we actually need your help like and I, I definitely actually on that the Guardians of the Galaxy they're, Thanos is like Thanos is Drax's like we're they're both like or Drax specifically was like no one aside from Thanos like I, I think that I think that we're gonna get something maybe they're not gonna be in the fight but I'd say before the middle of the first Infinity Wars, like we're going to hear from someone in the Guardians of the Galaxy. I actually agree with Mark because I think thematically what they're going to try and do is the main Avengers will get trounced and then Hulk and Thor come back. They'll all still get trounced. The Guardians will show up. They'll all get trounced. I think that all those other characters will show up in part one to all get trounced to build to the idea that the person that they need is Steve Rogers. They the lifestone brings him back at the end of part one. And then in part two, he leads all of them against Thanos. Because I I think that thematically the big thing the big thing that you they're gonna build to is the concept of no matter how strong the Avengers are, they need a strong leader. The strongest leader will be Steve Rogers. So therefore they need to bring 
they will bring Steve Rogers back to life. So do you think they're going to kill? But like, I, I think that I feel like th- that doesn't seem like hokey, but like it seems a little cheesy. I feel like or do, like if that happens, I feel like are we going to use the Infinity Gauntlet? And if that happens, are we going to kill Vision? I, I feel like something could happen where Vision sacrifices the Life Stone to bring Steve Rogers back to life. Before yeah. we, because uh, we, we've been talking a lot about speculation. Obviously, we don't really know too much, especially about any of the movies coming after Civil War, which are not even beginning to shoot or anything yet. So let's get back to Civil War a little bit. And uh, we talked a little bit about Black Panther, but about a week or so ago, a little less than a week, we got the reveal of the new Spider-Man costume and our oh, first look did. at Tom Holland as Spider-Man. So thoughts I about... Screamed. Uh, I just screamed. Has that been on the internet? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah, wow. once or twice. Interesting. You, you need to really dig for it. Huh, yeah. But I, it's pretty I, I'm obscure, right? I'm wondering what kind of role Spider-Man is going to play because of everyone in this movie, he's the only one who could be possibly considered a street-level hero. Yeah, I was... Similarly, I was curious based on the fact that before they announced they had the rights to use Spider-Man, it looked like Black Panther was going to play that role. The way they were kind of talking about it was he would be the center figure and they said that they had two different versions of the script, one without Spider-Man and one with it. And I'm curious if do you think he took, like, Black Panther lost some of his agency? To be honest, I don't think so. Because I, I don't think that it, it doesn't make any sense for T'Challa to have ever been the character in the middle because yeah. he's a diplomatic, ca- you know, yeah. he's a diplomatic character at heart. And I don't think that they would have had the Avengers go into Wakanda in Avengers 2 if that wasn't going to pay off. Yeah. Later, well, uh, personally, see, I think that Spy and I loved the way Holland looked. I loved everything about that suit. It's John the, Romita Jr. or John the, Romita. The, the closest, the only thing that I was like, "What are those for?" Are those the red like armband things? And those were so inconsequential versus how awesome the mask looked and the moving eyes. Would, but as far as like what Peter's role is going to be, I don't think he's going to have much screen time. And I think his role is basically going to be there's going to be this rumors slash hero spider-man and you'll you'll see uh like some kind of news broadcast about people saying look how out of control this is getting there's a, a spider-man who's totally Spider-Man is a He's a menace. i think you're gonna see spider-man will probably will probably get some kind of peter parker appearance i think we'll you'll see spider-man allied with iron man the way it looks in the movie and i think you'll see spider-man turn to the other side do you think we get an iron spider suit no. no, I think the one he's wearing is, is basically going to Yeah, I think it's basically going to be the equivalent of that. See, my question is Like I feel is, like he'll get his tech from, from right, Tony or so, or So then what T'Challa. tech on this costume exists because other than some eyes that move, I don't see much on this costume well, that Spider-Man wouldn't have already had available. I mean, the web I, I think sho- the web, web shooters I mean, is we, the we, big thing we don't that really, we've heard. Like, I, I have a feeling that the first time we see him, he's going to be wearing something akin to like the wrestling like, suit with the band right or like the original yeah. or like the original Ben Riley outfit you know the 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 hoodie one i don't know if it'll look exactly like that but something akin to like oh that kid totally threw that together in his bedroom and it makes sense Very as homemade. opposed to like the not putting them down but like there's no way that 
Tobey Maguire would have made could have made that Spider-Man hey, suit man, by himself. Tobey Maguire is a master seamstress and the best artist in high school <laughs> that I've ever seen. Everyone can draw like Alex Ross, right? Yep, everybody. <laughs> was um, that were those Ross's drawings for his uh In in Spider-Man 2 they were. Oh, okay. In Spider-Man 1 they were actually Phil Jimenez. Interesting. Phil I always Jimenez think of did the, all the, uh, the Spidey sketches. The MTV Movie Award version. Just See, like uh, James Cameron drawing uh, uh the Titanic Kate drawing. Wins- yeah, Kate yeah. Wins- I've got a problem with the idea that Spider-Man is going to switch sides because this is a character who who's I think it's probably Black Widow. <laughs> what? Oh, I, I think it's going to be Black Widow that switches I, sides. Oh, I think it's pretty clear that she's Oh, yeah. I, I absolutely But see, I don't even think Widow is going to switch sides. I think Widow is I think Widow is a always on the side. I think yeah. I think Widow is a double agent for Cap. But, but so so with the Spider-Man thing, if it, I mean he's not going to have that a much, huge role in yeah. the film because he was thrown in. They didn't even know if they were going to have him. Right. So if he let's argue, right, and say he has 10 minutes, he's not going to be on one side and flip-flop in 10 minutes. Well, That's when I say 10 right? minutes, I mean like 10 minutes of total. I don't mean like he's like yeah, ten, but, a ten minute. Chunk. Yeah, yeah, I, I know. I agree with mean, Sean though. I don't. He doesn't have enough emotionally invested to well, even switch. Well, where I think that you might see like a, a side switch where they try and pull something, and who knows? Maybe he's in the movie a lot more than any of us think. That's it's all. Possible, yeah. It's also a possibility. I, I doubt it. But hoping. I think that you could see them play something with the idea of that there's some lie that Tony has told him. And I think you could also play with the idea of he if he is getting his tech from Stark and then he does something that Tony disagrees with and Tony, you know, like electroshocks him from inside his own suit or like uh, shuts down his web shooters while he's swinging or something. I don't think Tony would do that. I, I don't think so. I'm, I'm just saying I, I don't think it'll be so much an emotional turn for better or worse, but I do think that. Or who knows, maybe they could even, like, if they really wanted to play with the comic, maybe they'll have him on Tony's side until Tony tells him, like, as things keep ratcheting up, like, I want you to reveal your identity, and he's just like... I absolutely. The movie doesn't do even that. have anything to do with that. We, we've literally seen two seconds of Spider-Man, so we're <laughs> adding so much more context. Can, can I? Than can I just? Can I just throw know. out a question on what we have seen? Yeah, because mm. I I love the trailer, and once once I actually saw him, I loved him. I was of the belief that they shouldn't show Spider-Man. I agree. Yeah, and but it wasn't can, for us. Can I just point out that how awesome would the trailer have been if it had the exact same stinger and the exact same moment of Tony going? Whatever he says to Underoos. Steve, and then saying underoos, and then all you saw was the webbing shoot down, bring up the shield, and that's the end of the trailer. Yeah, that would have been, been cool. How like good that. of a tease would that have been? I would have enjoyed that amazing. a lot better. Me up really hard. <laughs> but uh, speaking of speaking of things about the Spider-Man, uh, you know James Gunn directing Guardians of the Galaxy and stuff. So I follow him on Twitter, and he was saying a lot of shit about Tom Holland on Twitter. A lot of good shit. Specifically that, uh, and I'm, I just pulled it up. He said he was the best Spider-Man. The best Spider-Man ever that we have seen. He is Spidey t- as Downey Jr. as to Iron Man. Ledger was to the Joker, and Chris Pratt is to Star-Lord. I'm not saying this out of obligation. If I don't like a Marvel movie, I just don't say anything about it. I, I mean, okay. Great. I, mean, I mean, I'm like, I'm a big proponent of... Ultimate Spider-Man is one of my my favorite favorite. runs on anything ever. As far as 616 Spider-Man, I greatly prefer the early he's in high school stuff versus the later stuff. I mean, I'm all for characters maturing and growing, but there is something that works so well about Peter Parker teenager that I don't think has ever fully translated to Peter Parker adult. So the concept of movie Spider-Man actually being in high school a la Ultimate Spider-Man, to me, that's like just the most exciting thing in the world. That's that's why, to this day, the amazing Spider-Man is 
is still my favorite of the movies because it's the only one where, where he is funny. a high school kid. Which yeah. Uh-huh. Damn. What excites me about Tom Holland's casting as Spider-Man is, like you said, he is that high school age. But beyond that, this is somebody that can continue to grow in age with the franchise moving forward. We've got Iron Man. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. is in his 50s at this point. No matter how many movies he wants to do, right. A, it's becoming a question of affordability because he can basically ask for them as much as he wants and get it basically but the second thing is he just doesn't have that many more movies in him he physically after the avengers 3 part 1 and 2 i don't know that we're going to see tony stark as iron man again now we might see robert downey jr make appearances as tony stark but i don't think that the iron man mantle will any longer be in robert downey jr's hands and i think that the same is going to be true of a lot of heroes going forward we're going to see captain america being passed on to bucky and maybe Maybe one day even on to Falcon. I hope so, personally. Or at the very least, I think we'll see a, a new Steve Rod- we'll just I would hope they went the legacy route, but I could also see them start, for lack of a better word, bonding the characters. Right. See, they, I think, or Batman forevering the characters, see, I, where you kind of just have... Yeah, this is a character, just a different actor, yeah. And I, I, I just think, think that... Like, Evans is such a Steve Rogers. I just think that like between having Tom Holland being able to age and show us that character development through his own franchise and through any future Avengers crossover movies Um, we get to see that development we get to see the character grow and become you know in his 20s in his 30s see some of those storylines we haven't seen see the relationships between him and Mary Jane really develop in that marriage which we never really got I I think there's a lot of opportunities here that we never really got with Tobey Maguire or Andrew Garfield and I think that you know, same thing. The the kid from Iron Man three was contracted for like four movies. I heard. Oh wow, that's what I heard. I I mean, this is shit you read on the internet, so take it all with a grain of salt. But I mean, that sets up in my mind for a future Iron Lad. That's or really at cool. Least like a, a, cool. another legacy Iron Man. And if nothing else, it's like a smart move by Marvel because I guess they like conceivably never have to use that kid. But it was smart to sign him up when they did. I right. mean, they brought back Thunderbolt Ross. Like what? Eight movies later. Yeah. I mean, and that incredible. Hulk movie is only vaguely in con- like it's, it's in continuity well, like but vaguely and I think it's fascinating if you talk to Kevin Feige my main issue with all of the Spider-Man movies besides Andrew Garfield is Spider-Man is funny Spider-Man is yeah. funny. This is not well. Was it's never like, evident in the Tobey Maguire. They, they tried movie. to make him funny, but like Tobey Tobey Maguire's Spidey slash Peter was less like funny because he's clever and but more funny like funny because he's a dumbass. Him. Yeah, yeah. Spider-Man yeah. is supposed to be your obnoxious right. little high that's, school kid. That's why I love the I thought Gar. I thought Garfield was Gar- fantastic. Garfield was yeah. great. See, the movies problem, around him were not good, but he was. I think fantastic. the first. I think the first one is very my good. The second one, not so much. My problem with Garfield as Spider-Man is that he's not the unpopular science nerd that Peter Parker is. Right, but he's like, like the like super handsome skater like, boy, like neither, gets all the girls. Neither is Peter, Ultimate Peter Parker. Like yeah. at this point, kind of like the you know, not to get too far away from Civil War, but that that's kind of where it comes down to. I think like the concept of what is an what isn't unpopular. What isn't what is an outcast has changed. Yeah, that's true too. You know what I mean? Like you know, he would more be like a. In my opinion, I he would he would be less like a nerd wearing a bow tie who gets picked on, and more of like you know the kid who sits in the back of the class and wears a hoodie and doesn't really talk to people. And yeah, I could like see I, that. I thought this to be honest, and maybe this just shows like 
my dorkiness on some level. I thought like the skating, I, I loved that he was a skater because that's such a, so, to me, that's such a solitary thing. I and thought that was cool. Anti-social. This is a whole right. other podcast. This it is, absolutely yeah, is. Yeah. We got to yeah. get back to I also uh, love Civil Ultimate War. Spider-Man. I love yeah. Ultimate Spider-Man too. So. so I had a couple of questions about Civil War and some things possibly after Civil War, but my main questions were, do you think there's going to be a Red Skull again? Do you think there's going to be any sort of semblance of the Thunderbolts? What's going to be our Goliath death equivalent? The The last two questions are more general, so I'll ask those later. But Thunderbolts, Red Skull, and who's going to be our Goliath? Well, starting with, with Red Skull, I, I was one of the people who thought that... I can't Robert remember, Redford. Robert Redford, thank you, was going to be Red Skull. I thought that was the best opportunity that they've had. That I they've agree. Had. To, to, to bring him back. I think it's impossible not to bring him back. He's too integral to Captain America, and we need him. I, I'm, I'm dying to see him again. As far as the Thunderbolts, I really, no. I really would like to see the Thunderbolts you know, brought onto to the screen. I have a problem seeing them do that right now. Uh, maybe th- I, maybe after Avengers Infinity War Part Two, but for now, I, I don't I think so. Sorry, I can see them teasing it. Yeah, I could see I could see something like that. And then your final question was, who's going to be the, the Goliath death? I gotta go with Hawkeye. I mean, they're teasing War Machine, but I don't think I think that's a red herring. I think it's gonna be Hawkeye. They Brian, how about you? T- they um, couldn't tease it that hard. As far like, as far as Red Skull goes, I absolutely think we'll see him again. I think the fact that the character already has a proclivity both in the film and then within the greater universe to one because the actor would be covered in the Red Skull mask anyway, and two because the character has a proclivity towards changing his appearance and plastic surgery, it makes changing out the actor much simpler than it does in almost any case. So I wouldn't be shocked if we saw him in this movie, and even if we didn't, I wouldn't. Whatever the next iteration of Captain America is, whether it's uh, Sebastian Stan and Bucky taking over, or or Chris Evans or a new ca- or whatever I think we'll see Cap again as far as your Goliath death I like I said I'm, I think that they're gonna I think that they're gonna have a death on each side a loss on each side to even at to even it out for lack of a better term so I think you're gonna have Hawkeye or Hawkeye's family and on the other side I think you're gonna have either War Machine or Falcon really you think they would kill off Falcon no but I think that Unfortunately, of all the characters that I think that they could pull a sneak death with, he's the most likely. Oh, but I, I, I could very easily seeing it being War Machine on Tony's side, Hawkeye or Hawkeye's family on Cap's side, and those things kind of, I don't want to say balancing each other out, but once both sides suffer losses, bringing them together. Creating a kind of bargaining table. Right. And re the Thunderbolts, I think that you might see something, you might see the Thunderbolts in name. You might see Ross has a special unit called the Thunderbolts, named after himself, probably with crossbones. But in the context of what the Thunderbolts are from the comics, I don't think it's possible because there just aren't enough mid-level... They haven't established enough mid-level villains in the MCU to have that. See, and that's the thing, too, is the ones that they have established have been pretty much knocked completely out. So unless we're going to bring back... The Abomination presumably is still around somewhere but locked up. We could probably bring Whiplash back. Yellow Jacket, maybe. Yellow Jacket, maybe. Isn't he? Didn't he die in it, man? Oh well, he was sucked into that like super hyper small dimension. So you're right. Um, oh, unless yeah. there's some crazy 
development going on in this movie. I don't think we're going to see Yellow Jacket. Obadiah Stane's out. We're not going to see Loki. We're not going to see Malekith. We're not going to see Red Skull. On the we'll see Crossbones. We get Crossbones. So basically, maybe, maybe Zemo. Maybe they find some way. Maybe that Zemo uploaded himself somewhere we, else. We've got Batrock the Leaper from the beginning of Cap Two. So we've got basically <laughs> yeah. four characters oh, to got, work with uh, there. We got Batrock. We got not mm, Zemo. Who you're talking about? Von Strucker. Von. No. No. The um, other uh, Toby. The guy who's in the computer. Um, yeah, isn't he supposed to be Baron Zemo? No, Baron oh, Zemo. No, 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 no. Totally, uh, my totally, totally brain. His name isn't Baron Zemo. His, uh, he's God. Arnim Zola. Zola. There you Arnim go, Zola. Arnim Zola. Um, Sorry, guys. But yeah, so we've all got the nerds will be very nerd. Now. All my co-nerds. So we've got I'm more uh, of a DC person. The Abomination, Batrock, the Leaper, Whiplash, and uh, who was the Arnim other one Zola. I said? No, that wasn't the other one I said because yeah. Arnim Zola Yellow doesn't Jack, fight anyone in combat. We might see like the equivalent of like him walking by a folder that says Thunderbolts or something like that. You right, know, like, I think that that's more likely. Or like being I think, like, I think I'll call them the Thunderbolts or something like that. I think that uh, what Brian said is going to be correct, that he's going to have some kind of a unit. I think that if we do see any kind of uh, supervillains in that unit, the only ones that they could really stand to bring back are Crossbones, Batrock, uh, Abomination and Whiplash. I'd be really happy to see any of those characters show up. I think that would be really cool, and I think that the Thunderbolts themselves could even be the thing that they end up having to unite against if, like, the team ends up, you know, going out of control or something, and the government finds they can't control the villains. I think that would be a really cool Act Three. And I mean, I guess the the one the one other thing, and I, I doubt it, but we do have to say it. The one thing that we also don't know is there. It's Nobody's really clear on exactly what Marvel can use re the Spider-Man universe. True. We could see Venom. You could have Osborne involved. This you is could... convoluted. Yeah. yeah. Point is that you might see some... My short answer to your question, I think you might see something called the Thunderbolts, but it's not going to be anything like the comic book concept of the Thunderbolts. That's fair. Kind of like the movie Civil War is going to be very different from the comic exactly. book concept Civil War. Jake, how about you? What do you think? Red Skull, Thunderbolts, and uh, Goliath. In terms of the Thunderbolts, as we, as Brian said, I think you know you might see something with the name Thunderbolts, but not in terms of the actual function of the group. Possibly you'll see, as I said earlier, maybe looking at a folder with the name Thunderbolts bolts like just teasing the way captain america's shield was teased in the second iron man movie i don't think red skull is going to appear in this movie i just don't think they're just looking at the cast there isn't enough there aren't enough people who can turn out to be the red skull martin freeman martin freeman i think is basically setting up his role in black panther though black yeah Pan that's probably true I'm yeah just throwing out names and then uh, what was the third thing? Uh, Goliath. The Goliath death. I think now that I've kind of heard it, I'm going to go with the Hawkeye theory. I uh, I, I think War Machine might uh, get killed too. I had heard rumors that he was going to die in Age of Ultron also. So, Mark, what do you think? I think for the Thunderbolts, I, I think the folder thing could be it. I also think we could see like a scene where Ross is like in an office getting off of a computer and leaving really angrily and then the it just pans to a file that he's left open that just says Thunderbolts and the cursor is still like clicking or like the little word processor is flashing. I do think that Hawkeye is gonna die or his family. Yeah. I, I do think that he's probably he's the most logical choice, I guess. Especially with the family. And I don't know I don't know if I don't know if Rhodey's gonna die. I think they I think they teased it too hard. Yeah, I agree. I think uh But we know another Iron Man mo movie isn't necessarily on the way. And I'm curious you know Yeah, but that just doesn't mean 
That doesn't mean that there doesn't need to be a roadie. It just means That's that true. there there's not going to be an RDJ. We know solo that we know that as of right now. We know that Pepper is in the movie. She could be someone who might die. That's possible, but I and actually I wouldn't even see that being unlikely. Actually, they haven't really used Gwyneth Paltrow yeah. too much since Iron Man three. I could, yeah. That would also, that would also, like, I, I could see that being something that at sets the beginning Iron of the movie, off. exactly at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, I think, uh, like, Pe- you guys, Pepper are could saying, die, and whatever, cro- whatever Crossbones attack is, and maybe that's another thing that kind of right. Yeah. Or Pepper could die based on like Bucky's response to Crossbones attack, right? Or may- maybe not die, maybe get injured. Just judging on by what we've seen of Tony in the trailers. Because he still yeah, seems he a little seem bit, he devastated. seems a little bit too quippy for her to be dead. But maybe she gets hurt. Yeah, yeah she's like I, in the hospital. Like what happened to Happy in the beginning of uh, Iron Man three? I think I agree with the general consensus that you know we will probably see a Red Skull, but not in this movie. I would like to think that there's going to be some form of the Thunderbolts, and even if that's just the name of the unit that Crossbones is like in charge of, and he's the only supervillain, I think that that might even be exactly what it is. Like Thunderbolts could be a General Ross secret way of trying to get the superheroes under control, which is basically what he's been trying to do since Incredible Hulk. You know, he's trying to bring in the Hulk and harness that power for the U.S. government's means. He created the Abomination to do the same thing. I think it makes sense that he would use some kind of sneaky ass you know means to using crossbones and maybe crossbones is another sort of super soldier experiment like the abomination so you know go out do this thing we're going to use this event to ultimately rein in the uh heroes under political means instead of just using force through the government because that didn't work out in incredible hulk so i think that that's something that we are going to see uh just like brian said not like the way it plays out in the book As far as Goliath goes, I think, uh, I mean, I've said it earlier, I think it's definitely going to be something to happen with Hawkeye. I think Rhodey's death is premature. I don't think that that character has really had enough of a personal growth or arc throughout the three movies, four movies that he's been in. Basically, in Iron Man 1, 2, and 3, his entire role was, all right, fly around and help out Tony. He stole the suit from Tony in Iron Man 2, which is really the only decision we see him make on his own, and literally everything else is to just back up Tony. But I think that that's the unfortunate thing, because they know that audiences will know if he dies, It's not. he's not a big loss to the plot, but people will know that Tony will be upset. Exactly. Because we've been told so many times he's Tony's best friend, but we haven't been shown it, so it's like... See, but that's the thing. I think that's exactly why they can't kill him off. Uh, And I think also the fact that they just made him into an Avenger at the end of Avengers 2. I think that that giving him that status update and then immediately taking it away is a waste of making him an Avenger at the end of Avengers 2. I agree. I mean, the one thing that I could see happening to Rhodey is maybe he gets... Like very severely injured. Yeah, I could see where that. you can get the same emotional effect on Tony as if to he died, right. and then you kind of string it through the movie that like we don't know if he's gonna make it, and then at the end like he he does. Which is yeah, maybe he's got like thing a to Pepper. We're talking w- right. Maybe maybe, maybe he fills that role of so he gets severely injured and 
I can you know, see whatever. him even doing like a sort of Barber Gordon killing joke kind of thing where his injuries are detrimental uh, enough that he's in some way. Well, they, you could play with the idea that maybe he like ends up whether necessarily crippled or whatever you want to say, where he then has to be That's in what the I'm war machine exactly. suit. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So that whatever the situation is, even if it's like, you know, his legs are no longer able to move freely or whatever, he's got to have part of that suit on from that point forward. He'd still be able to move right. and all that, but he'd be a disabled character. Which would then make him similar to Tony. Right. Like he's got, or at least similar to Tony pre the end of uh, and, yeah, Iron Man. I don't three. know that much about the character of War Machine from a comics perspective. Is he, I mean, I've read a little bit. He's not crippled in the suit, right? He's just someone who uses it. No, as no, far as I know, he's just somebody who uses it. But yeah. I mean, the comics and the movies are clearly... Like, oh, no, I know that. I was just curious. From, yeah, no, I don't think there's anything machine, like yeah. that. So one last question before we close out here, and I guess you can't really answer this one way or, or for only one without also talking about the other. So comic book wise and upcoming movie wise, whose side are you on? Comic book movie wise... As a reader, I'm on Captain America's side, and film-wise, I'm on Captain America's side. Cap all day. 100% cap. Captain America, I gotta say, though, depending on how, like, if Spider-Man has a compelling reason to stay on Iron Man's side, I could be swayed, but uh, comic book, 100% Captain America. Yeah, I think... um... Tony makes a much more logical argument. I mean, again, we haven't seen how the movie plays out, but I agree with you, Sean, that from what we've seen so far... Tony might be jumping to conclusions a little prematurely in this movie. Nobody wants to be a part of the establishment. Everyone would love to yeah. be anti-establishment. Let's just be honest. That's what Captain America is in Civil War, both the movie and the comic. He's anti-establishment, and that's psychologically what people want to be. So to continue Stone my point, cold Steve Rogers. <laughs> so to finish my point, I think that in the comic book, Tony's argument makes a whole lot more sense, but I still think that... Like Brian was bringing up, it it seems to be written from the anti-registration perspective, so it's a lot easier to sympathize with Captain America. I think going into the movie, hands down, you've got to sympathize with Captain America, particularly with the history we've got with uh, Thunderbolt Ross and the fact that he's getting involved here. And knowing everything we do from Captain America, too, it's a very questionable decision to put anything in the hands of the government in the MCU. So I think in both cases, I'm Captain America, but I'm a little bit more reluctant to say that in the comic uh, sense. So did anybody else have anything else that they wanted to talk about or say before we sign off here? I just think that we should, uh, I just want to get into like a, I guess like we should do some maybe like a recommendation, like what was your favorite trade, like tie-in? Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be story-wise, like in relation to the main story, but like what's a tie-in you guys think that people should be looking at? About Civil War? Or just yeah, yeah, let's focus on Civil War. Obviously, yeah. the Civil War main storyline goes without saying, you know, you should definitely go and read that. That's going to give you the most context for stuff. But if you're talking about the extra supplemental material, what would be your recommendations? I would go with, I was going to go with Frontline. And I think a lot of people feel the same way. Just, you want to talk about getting the kind of bird's eye view uh, or not bird, people on the ground, the kind of civilian view of the journalists and your kind of speedballs journey a little bit. I It definitely gave it the actual main, main event way much more depth and let, made it feel less, you know, empty. I would say frontline. I, I totally agree. Wolverine's tie-in was really excellent and probably the New Avengers tie-in. 
Mine is a little bit of a cheat, admittedly, but Marvel sells it as a Civil War tie-in. The trade is part of the Civil War tie-in, so it's their um, the New Warriors series that establishes their that establishes their reality show and what have you. Because I think that when you read that and you get to know who they are as characters versus plot devices, what happens at the beginning of Civil War and their most of their deaths and what happens with Speedball will be much more compelling to you because you'll know the characters. Mark, how about you? I'm going to go with Wolverines. I think that's like one of my favorite paperbacks like ever. And on the same for the same reason Frontline, you guys said Frontline, I'm going to say uh Peter Parker Spider-Man just because I'm a Spider-Man guy and it gets you into that. I'm also also really into the Iron Man one. It just gives it a little more perspective. Yeah, I think for me, I would have to say, actually, I really enjoyed The Road to Civil War because it gives a lot more context to Tony's uh, side of things in particular. I would also say, I mean, if you are a particular fan of any hero, like I'm a big fan of Captain America, so I enjoyed the Captain America trades. It doesn't hurt to dig deeper into any heroes that you enjoy, especially if you're trying to get any context like of a timeline for that hero. My other recommendation is actually like a huge cheat probably more of a cheat than brian's because this isn't even technically a civil war title or collected as one but i really would recommend fallen sun the death of captain america because i think it really ties together tony's arc from civil war very very nicely and uh it's just such a powerful read like i really can't sing that book's praises enough yeah the entire brubaker run just of cap yeah is fantastic yeah agreed that's my that's I think when I tell people to like check out comics, the first thing I say, if you even if you don't like comic books, like I have the PDF for Fall and Sun or the CBR, like I'll send it to you. Just humor me. For what? Uh Winter for Soldier. Fa- for no, Fall and Sun. Fall and Sun, yeah. Yeah. So on, on that note, I'd like to remind everybody who's listening to follow us on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash comicsverse, on Twitter at at comicsverse. We're on YouTube at comicsverse TV. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spreaker. Basically, we're all over the place. If you look up comicsverse on the internet, you will definitely find us. Make sure that you like and subscribe to our videos and content. Uh, make sure you leave some comments on the website. Argue with us. We want to know what you think. If you think that we are 100% wrong let us know and uh we'd love to discuss it with you if you want to see me and sean settle this in the octagon tweet (laughs) at us enough and we might do it (laughs) and um on that note i'd like to uh wish everyone a uh happy march i guess there's not really any sort of holidays in march are there (laughs) patrick's day Day. that already happened or no that's happening this upcoming week isn't it everyone in new york was wandering around this past weekend depending on when you when when this this thing comes out we could be like happy easter passover earth day everyone happy 2018 everyone happy upcoming release of the marvel civil war movie everybody oh no way yeah it's, it's gonna happen soon there's a Civil War movie now? Yep, apparently. Um, so <laughs> a lot of thoughts on that book. So everybody uh, out there in the comics verse, enjoy the Civil War movie and make sure you pick up some of the Civil War titles and tie-ins uh, to give yourself a little bit more context about the movie before you go see it. Again, I'm Travis. I'm Sean. Brian. I'm still Jake. I'm Mark. And this is Comics Verse. <laughs>